Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by the white belt, Dagan Moriarty. I hate this friggin' bike. <laughs> how, how are you, Dagan? I am doing very well. You just arrived here. I, I did. This morning in Philadelphia. Yes. For wave seven. Wave seven. VII. Can you believe that? No. I Unbelievable. Can't. And we're going to retire. This is the last wave of the show. Oh, no. No, I'm like, it's not the last wave. Kyle just, uh, it's a surprise it's for a, me. It's a surprise for everyone, including Dang. We're no longer doing the show. Wait, it's over? <laughs> no, it's good to be here. I, you know, it's funny because we were talking about the weather and you were making fun of me on Twitter that it was going to be colder and stuff. And then we look, the weather's kind of, I don't want to say it's balmy in Philadelphia. That's not, not true. Yet. But it's snowing in Los Angeles right now for the first time since 1962, <laughs> and I'm not there for it. It's very what? weird. That is really strange. For the first time in over 50 years. That's crazy, yeah. dude. I told you it was unseasonably. It's unseasonably cold in Los Angeles as of the time that we were recording. For this how episode. long now has it been that way? Several weeks, I would say. Wow. Yeah, and and rainier than usual. Very unusual. Very very unique. So it's good to be here in Philadelphia with you, Dagan, as we record Wave Seven, it's and great obviously to have you. Knockback, our retro podcast. Ever-growing retro podcast, and we want to thank you guys for that. It's uh, We're recording this in, what? what is it? It's February, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> I'm out of, is, I am out of my mind. <laughs> in January of 2019 was the best month ever of knockback traffic-wise. Woo-woo. So thank you all for that. We appreciate the growth of the show. Remember, if you want to support the show, and we hope that you do, allow us to continue to do this show, get the episodes early, a week early, ad-free, be able to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, which are littered throughout all of the episodes of Knockback. If you want to get exclusive podcasts, etc., please do consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Your support there is essential, and even if you can only give a dollar or two a month, that means a great deal to us. So we appreciate that, and we thank you for that, Dagan. And I do want to start with something that we got from Luke Tucker over on Patreon. Remember, we put up a thread every two months or so, let you know what we're going to record. You guys submit as many questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas as you'd like. Luke says this. Okay. Dagan, do we train to be merciful at Knockback? Do we train here at Knockback? Yes. Do we tra- he, he wants to know, do we train to be merciful mm. at Knockback? What is the answer to that? I would say the answer is no mercy. The answer is no sensei, actually. <laughs> do we train to be merciful at Knockback? No, Sensei. Yes, there we go. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I loved that when I saw that. I wouldn't have gotten that at all except for the fact that I just rewatched them last week. So. so good. And Luke says, this was my first movie I ever owned when I got a check from my great grandma for $25 for Christmas and was able to buy the VHS of The Karate Kid. And The Karate oh, wow. Kid is the topic of the first episode Ooh. of Wave 7. And I don't want to get too technical, Dave, because you and I had recorded episode 53 remotely. It's the first one we ever did remotely. We're not going to do them remotely usually unless we have to. Right. But we decided that maybe we'll refer to this, this next year as season two of the show. I don't know if we really should do that or not, but 
I'm going to do it anyway. So this is the first, this is wave seven, episode one, episode one of season two. Wow. Okay. Is that all right? Th- that sounds good to me. All right. Fair I enough. could even follow that. So it's got to be easy. The Karate Kid dig. Now, this is a series and uh, specifically the first movie that's very special to you. I like the original Karate Kid. I think it's funny. We're going to have a good conversation about that. I had watched for the first time in my life, I think, the second and third ones just a few days ago as of the time of recording this. Okay, so they were new to you. They were new to me, and I wish that I never saw them, to be perfectly (laughs) honest. So we'll have to talk about those as well. Karate Kid trilogy. The Karate Kid trilogy. This is where we're going to begin this season of Knockback. Oh, I'm excited, Kyle. But Me you know too. what? I have to start with a new opening segment. I know. So what are we going to do before we get into it? You... I'm really excited about this one, but I have yeah. to say it's a little bit, I don't want to say bold because that sounds like it's tooting my own horn a little bit. I would say it's a, it's an experimental one. Okay. And you have to let me know how you feel about this. All right. Yeah, please. Now, I'll tell you about the genesis of what where this came from for me, for the idea, because I think I was saying on Twitter, and you know, I was already talking to you about this. I had about a dozen to 16 to 17 different ideas for opening and closing segments for this batch of shows that we're going to do. And I boiled it down only a day or two ago to the ones that we're going to do. And this one kind of came to me late. This was a late comer. So the other ones that, you know, guys, just so you know, any other ideas that I have for opening and closing segments of the episodes, I'll save, you know, I'll save them in reserve. I have usually little titles for those and a little idea, you know, a little one note one sentence or two sentence idea for each thing. And I'll keep them in reserve. But for this one, Kyle, and you re- may remember this game show. I'm calling this segment Win, Lose, End, Draw. Wow, okay. Which is based on the classic game show from the 80s, Win, Lose, or Draw, which was like a Pictionary type game show. Yep. You know, two teams competed to, to draw and guess what they were drawing. Sort of a charadesy type thing with drawing. So now you know where this came from for me, Kyle? You often say, you've often said, and I think you've even mentioned it on the show before, that you can't draw. No, horrible. Okay? Horrible. Which I th- I disagree with, I think. Okay. But we're going to find out. Okay. So we're in, in win, lose, and draw. So this is called win, lose, and draw. <laughs> now, let me tell you what this is all about. Okay. I am going to do a category for you. Okay? And I'm going to... So basically, I have a bowl full of categories, subjects, basically, to draw. They're very broad. So for instance, it could be draw, uh, this isn't one of them, but draw a Nintendo game. Okay. And you'll have a minute. You won't show me anything. You'll draw as little or as much as you want to try to draw that Nintendo game, and then I'm going to try to guess it. Okay? And then I built in a little component at the end of a minute. I'll see if I could guess what you drew. And now, I know this is a visual thing, and this is an audio podcast, but here's the thing. We're going to... Pick a winner out of a bowl, and that person's going to get the drawing signed by Kyle. Oh, I'm going to mail it out. That's that's a great okay? idea. That's a and nice I'll idea. also post a drawing when the episode goes up. This specific episode goes up. I'll post a drawing on Twitter or Instagram or both, so everybody can see what it is. Okay, we'll sign the drawing. I'll do a little doodle on a post-it note with it, and I'll pop it in the mail. So they get some real art. So they get some real art. So you get some real art, and you get the you get this could be your five year olds. Uh, this could be worth something sure, someday, right? Sure. Perhaps so. So a little perk for the audience. Now, let right? me ask you this. Where okay. did you get the names of potential winners? I actually, you know what I did? Mm. The latest Patreon. These ah, are the Patreon supporters, yes, okay? Yes, yes. For the end credits of Sacred Sim. Uh, not Sacred Sim, but side for, side quest, right. uh, for side quest. Dagan does those every month. Yeah, yeah. I do the, the I do the names. I redo the names every month for the end title cards. Toothless Gibbon. Pa- <laughs> Toothless Gibbon represent. Yeah he's, yeah, he's in there. I wonder if he's in there. You know what I did? I chose 
there was probably 15 pages. I chose three or four random pages, cut them up into slivers. So you'll pick the, not only will you pick the subject, the broad subject that you'll be drawing, but you'll also pick the winner. Okay. okay? Well, I like that. You know, I, what I like about this, Dagan, is it's got a social media slash promotional component to it. Absolutely. So I really enjoy this. I mean, I'm this always is, thinking. You're Kyle. a good marketer. Thank you. I friend. like this. So, all right. So win, lose, and draw. All right. So I'm going to get off the mic for one second. I'm going to hand Colin everything he needs. Here is a book for you to lean on. This is for the love of the Yankees. Okay. Okay. Big Pro- enough for a piece of typing paper. I Too have- bad it's not for the love of the Mets. We can draw all over it. <laughs> Maybe I accidentally missed the paper a few times. I have a stack of typing paper for Colin. Excellent. Keep that over there with you, my okay, friend. Okay. I, I will do that. Here. Thank you. And we're gonna, just going to draw. Str- I have a couple of brand new Sharpies, my favorite draw- things to draw with. You love Sharpies. I like I to sniff them personally, but. So you're just going to be drawing in black and white. No color. Okay. Okay. A minute for the timer. I'm going to time it right here on my phone. Babe Ruth's looking like he might be missing a chromosome, by the way, in this picture here. Oh, the cartoons on the the part of that (laughs) book? They're not looking too well. Babe Ruth's looking like (laughs) he's got a little something extra in the DNA sequence. All right. Now, Kyle. Yeah. Do you want to first draw whoever's going to win this? Yeah. Let's see who's going to win first. Isn't that more tantalizing? Who's going to win this drawing? Okay. There's probably, I would say, 70, 60 to 70 names in here. Okay. Okay. And right. next time when we do something like this, we'll pick different names. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. I like that. So everybody will be represented at some point. Okay. All right, Kyle, pick, don't look. Pick a name. Okay. Should we read it now? Let's read it now. Okay. Tyler Woodall. Hey, Tyler. Tyler Woodall. You are the winner, my friend. Tyler Woodall. All right. Now. We'll see. <laughs> I got this other bowl here, Kyle. Right. Look, I'm shuffling them now, around. Now, do you want to... Su- oh, because you, you have to guess, so I have to also select the... Right. Okay. So this is a, bro- a very broad topic. There's okay. no way I can know what it is, because you're going to guess something, and you're going to... You know, if it's uh, draw a piece of fruit, let's say, that's not one of them, then you're going to think of a fruit and draw it, and I have to guess. Okay. All right? Now, here's the thing. Okay. I didn't explain this part. Talk to me. If I... If you draw... If your drawing is adequate, good enough for me to make the guess, then... You technically win because you did a good drawing, and I have to mail this out. Okay. Okay. If I can't get it, if your drawing is just beyond help, and I can't get it, then you have to mail it. All right. That's fair Does enough. that sound good? That's fair enough. Okay. That's a good deal. I enjoy that. Tyler Woodall, this one's for you. But I would be happy to mail them out anyway. All right. So we got to play for stakes. So let me just grab- Colin's grabbing a subject that he's going to draw. What okay. is it, Kyle? What'd you get? Well, I, I can't say it, right? You no, to... just you're going to say what the broad topic is, but somewhere within there, you're going to draw what you want. Okay. Okay. All right. right. I understand. So, All right. So the topic is draw a game console. A draw a game console. Okay. Now draw... you're not going to tell me which one. Right. I'm going to draw a game console for Tyler Woodall. And I'm going to try to guess it. Now, Kyle, you have a minute on the clock. Okay. And you ready? Mm-hmm. You got something in your head? Okay. Yep. And you're not going to show me till you're done. Right. Do as much as or as little as you want, but you have a minute. Okay. okay. Ready, go. Okay. I'm watching the clock, and I'll talk to you guys while Colin's drawing. He's drawing. He's very. He's re- he's really concentrating right now. He's got the sharpie in his his paper. I can't see because we're about we're sitting about five or six feet from each other right now. I would say. He's gonna draw, and I at the end of this minute. Looks like you got about forty seconds left, Kyle. I am going to guess, what it is, and then Tyler. You are going to get this drawing in the mail. Signed by this Kyle. This is maybe the worst thing. Really? I, oh, my God. You just got to, so whatever it's got to be, whatever it is to make me realize what it is visually from your visual depiction. And I think, I think 
You know what, guys? I think Colin can draw a little bit. I think he could draw. I don't think he's one of those people that's beyond. I think anybody could draw with practice, but Colin could certainly draw. All right, Kyle, we're looking at about 15 seconds. Okay. I don't want to rush you, but but I do, actually. Okay. Rush you a little bit. All right, should we do the final countdown? Yes. Five, four, okay. three, two, <laughs> One. This is maybe the worst. Now, hold on, okay. Kyle. I want to ask you one more thing because okay. I didn't really uh, lay this out yet. Okay. How? What do you think is a good rule for, because we're going to do this nine more times mm. now. What do you think is a good rule for how many guesses I should get? Should it just be one guess? Should it be a multiple guess? I guesses? think maybe one guess, right? All right. One like, guess like will be you fun. Don't have any, maybe you think about it a little bit. You don't have to guess immediately. Right. But maybe you think about it. Okay. Bit. One guess. I like that. Right. Here's like my that. drawing of my game console. Okay. Draw a game console. Oh, oh, I know what it is. Oh, I know what it is. You got... I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> Poor Tyler. This is why. This is why you're a Patreon supporter. Oh, my goodness. Now, I knew it immediately. Colin has drawn, and you'll tell me if I'm correct, Kyle. Colin has drawn the Sega Dreamcast. Yes. Can't you tell? I could tell. Yeah. Because it has the swirly, you know, the swirly Dreamcast logo right. on top. Without that... <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, it looks like a record player with legs. <laughs> excellent. This is excellent. Now, right here, hand it back to me. Okay. Let me do this real quick. Keep it in good. Keep it in good shape over there. Are you going to sign it right now? Yeah. Why not? Look at you. There Give you me. go. All right. I'm going to make a piece stack of art of right there. I'm going to make a stack of these. That's for you, Tyler. And there you go. Our first win, lose, and draw. And trust me, Tyler, you lost. And Tyler, you definitely lost. <laughs> you didn't have to lose for it, but winning. <laughs> All right. So good. All right. So what do you think of this? <laughs> it looks like a record player with legs. <laughs> record player with legs. And you guys will see what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was trying to draw the VMU on the controller, but uh, I don't yeah, think it came out. Yeah, that doesn't read. <laughs> That's not even reading a little bit. Holy shit. <laughs> All right. Kyle. We got to get into the spirit of this. Thing. Oh, look at that! Very nice. Where'd you find? Do you have you had that for a while? Yeah, I've had this for a while. I've had it. it's. This is uh, what is this thing called? I should have researched. I don't that. know. So this is the thing, guys. I'm holding the little stick with the balls on top from Karate Kid Two, which was the block. What was the block? Daniel's blocking move. He I did that side turning block. Yeah, yeah. So I'm making the noise. But this is a, a Mexican version. It has Speedy a really <laughs> no, bad drawing of Speedy yeah, Gonzalez. It's really on not. It. It's like off brand Speedy <laughs> Gonzalez. Look at that. That's there very nice. Go. Very timely. Get into that. the spirit of Do you things. have any size or katanas lying <laughs> no, around that you also want to Unfortunately not. Dave, the Karate Kid. Okay. Why is this movie so special to you? What, what about, what is it? Is it that it's infused with Long Island talent? Does that have anything to oh, do with it? Oh, a little bit. A little bit. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that doesn't hurt. No, that, can't that certainly that can't doesn't hurt. That can't possibly hurt. But you know what, Kyle? Yeah, and thinking about this movie, it really is one of my favorite movies. It's definitely in my my top 20, 25 movies. And it's just endlessly entertaining. But I, what I always really loved about this movie was that not only is it a lot of fun, and it explores a really cool, it's a really cool um, father-son movie. It has a really great father-son dynamic in the film that I always appreciate in movies. You know, think about films that we really enjoy, like, a Bronx Tale and other things that are really movies about father and son relationships. But really more than that, it's a fun movie 
with levity, but it also, this movie always felt kind of realistic to me. It's exaggerated, it's dramatic, it's even melodramatic, but I love the, you know, the protagonist of the, you know, Daniel, and we'll talk about him. I think I love how, how real it feels. There's a little bit of gravity to the film that mixes with the fun. I think it's kind of a 50-50 feel, and I always love that. And, you know, it has all those typical things that we know about the Karate Kid, especially in the first film that we're talking about. It's a, it's a bit of an underdog story. It's very a very appealing main character, you know, very very appealing to main characters, I would say. You know, it has the bully characters and the antagonists that you love to hate. I think there's a lot to it that we have to break down, and we'll talk about it, and I can't wait to see what people wrote about it as well. Yeah. And get your take on it as well. Yeah, the interesting thing to me about Karate Kid is there's something obviously profoundly 80s about it, but I also think it's one of those movies that really would have been better served being by itself. I really, I know some people, and I think you're one of them, really do like the second movie and maybe even the third movie, but I just, I was astounded by the drop in quality from the second, from the first to the second. And then again, from the second to the third, like just this, like, I hear that. There was no shepherd, there was no. We did a one on Back to the Future, which I, I think the third Back to the Future movie is better than the second one. But obviously, I think the first Back to the Future movie is the best. But it's amazing that people, from my perspective, didn't have more creative control and foresight over how to do this and how to make this more special. You know, that that was, I think, one of my major takeaways, because I really enjoyed watching the first one again. I hadn't seen it in a long time or whatever. But then going into number two and number three, I was surprised. You know, yeah. like I was actually kind of genuinely surprised, not in a good way. I know? understand that. I think that's a very popular sentiment. And I can understand it completely. They're very different. All three are markedly different films. But the first one, you know, the first one just has that pacing. It's very entertaining. It's it's pretty it's pretty beat for beat, nonstop as far as the pacing and the timing and just the business and everything that's going on. It's a very, very entertaining film. You know what's interesting? It worked for me so much as a kid when I first saw it. And and I saw this in the theater with, you know, with with our Aunt Joni for the first time when I first saw it. And I loved it then. And it works for me just as well now. You know, and now, like you said, it's very 80s. It's very nostalgic. But it always has worked for me. I never get tired of it. You know, it's, it's one of those films. You know, and we'll talk about one more film this wave, you know, that very, resonates very in a very similar way for me. But, you know, and, and you know, we have that, gener again, that generational divide of almost 11 years. So that's very interesting, our different perspectives on the film. Because I would think this movie seems awfully dated to you. Yeah, it does. But I, I like that, you know, that doesn't bother me. Like one of my favorite things about watching movies like this is looking for products and like weird things in the background and like whether it's intentional product placement or not, like in Mr. Miyagi's, you know, little cabin, not his house, but like where he works his little workshop uh, at the apartment complex. Like there's all these old cans of like WD-40 and all this guy. I like, I like that old aesthetic combined with the fact that, you know, I don't know. I kind of live for the 80s. I like it. So that, that kind of stuff doesn't really bother me. But to, to set the stage for people a little bit, the original Karate Kid came out June 22nd, 1984. So it came out about four months before I was even born. And it was made for $8 million and it made $90.8 million at the global box office. So a, a huge success story. Unbelievable. And now, how do you say, is it, is it Ralph Macchio? Because I, I, or is it Ralph Macchio? Macchio, as far as Macchio. I know. Yeah, because I, I've heard it said several different ways and I never really, I, I meant to look so, Macchio. That's that's how I would say it, I think, too. It stars Ralph Macchio, a Long Island-based actor. No no worries there. Yeah. Uh, his name in the movie is Daniel LaRusso. His original name was supposed to be Daniel Weber until they cast an Ital a clearly Italian boy. <laughs> 
And the major, you know, major plot line here is that this boy, late in his high school career, I think he's 17 years old in the movie, he moves from his kind of working class neighborhood in Newark, New Jersey, yeah. to go to Southern California, to L.A., with his mom, who's kind of chasing a job out there. And it's about how, kind of how he attempts to fit in, and he learns basically karate from an Okinawan, an old Okinawan man who works at the apartment complex that he is living at with his mom, Pat Morita of course, plays that role. And, and you guys would maybe know him, I think, most keenly from the Karate Kid movies, although nerds like me know him from Happy Days, of there course, you go, yeah. as well. So, Dig, I mean, let me ask you this. Okay. Uh, let's set the stage here. Okay. I had mentioned this to you, and I actually mentioned it on an episode of Sacred Symbols, and a few people, because I couldn't contain myself because I had just watched one of the movies, and people have told me that this is not as uncommon a thought as I, as I thought it was. And I think that that's because I just am not tuned into the karate kid fandom as it were. Like some people are like you are, for instance, Daniel LaRusso to me seems almost like the antagonist in the movie. It seems like everything he's doing is making things worse with right. the exception of the very beginning when he gets the shit beat out of him on the beach, on the beach, right in front of his new friends or whatever. Absolutely. It seems like he's kind of the problem. Now there's some cut scenes that were removed from the movie with his kind with the real antagonist Johnny, but that might have you know set the stage a little bit better for us. But they're they're not in there, so we're not supposed to know that. And certainly in the '80s, no one would have known that. How does that strike you? Because I couldn't walk away from that. I I, I don't want to be sarcastic about it, but I was watching it and I'm like, you are getting yourself in these situations, you know, over and over again. A great example is at the Halloween party when he's dressed in that really cool costume. You know, there's a Halloween scene and he's dressed as like basically in the shower to kind of avoid being seen. <laughs> and Johnny's in a bathroom stall rolling up a joint, not really doing anything to anyone. No. And and it, and it's per- conceivably been weeks or maybe even a couple months. It's like time has passed. Right. And he like, you know, dr- drenches him with water and runs away. And it's like Johnny says something to him later that really resonated with me. He's like where you he's like says something along the lines of you couldn't let it go or you couldn't let good enough alone. And I'm like. That's a great point. What What is going on here? Like, yeah. So does that strike you as accurate? Totally. And you know what? That, that Daniel LaRusso as the antagonist of the film is a pretty popular theory. People have spoken about that before. And it does make sense. Now, I think as a kid, especially, I had always seen it as like, you know, you have that fish out of water element to it. You have this young kid, you know, he's sort of an urban kid from Newark. He's from the East Coast. He's kind of got that, you know, you think he's got a little bit of that street tough vibe going on you know he doesn't really have a father figure you know he just moves out west with his single mom now they don't explain in the first movie what happens to his dad right no. they don't explain it until the second movie i think they f- finally tackle that in the second film which is interesting okay yeah so you know it's not a which the father passes away right you don't know if he's divorced or the mom was always single they don't actually ever fill that in as far no. as i know in the no movie. i don't think so not in the first film you find that out later on that the dad passed and it was kind of a you know it was it was a tragic thing because you know it wasn't you know the type of thing where the dad left or he just never had a dad or you know that type of thing but i always thought of daniel as sort of that sort of he had that street tough mentality you know he was so, he and he is he has sort of that wise guy demeanor he's funny it almost seems like he has a that's his way of dealing with things that's his way of moving out to a new place and dealing with new people and new school and everything it was like that you know sort of tough hard exterior is how he was dealing with his new way of life and that was his defense mechanism and you know, he sort of, it always seemed like he was bringing a different, like an East Coast vibe to the West Coast, and he that's why he wasn't fitting in. That's how I always read that. But, you know, he does go out of his way to antagonize the bullies. 
he def- definitely does do that. They start it, but instead of like you said, instead of leaving well enough alone, he sort of, you know, he sort of brings it on himself. Yeah, because there's that weird scene, you know, at the soccer practice. Yeah. One, first of all, one of the things that I think is interesting about the movie is the inclusion, a pretty serious inclusion of soccer, which is not really a huge sport in the United States. It's getting bigger. Our sisters played soccer. I played a little bit of soccer, but. You know, it's not like this huge sport. We play a lot of other things in the United States. And so to see that prominently displayed, I think, was kind of cool. Yeah, 1984. Yeah, they're not playing football. They're not playing baseball, whatever. They're playing soccer, which I thought was interesting. But there's a scene where he's trying out for the soccer team where he gets, like, illegally, you know, swept or whatever. And he, like, punches Johnny in the face. Yeah. It's like a total overreaction. Yeah, that was Bobby, right? Oh, Bobby. Bobby or Tommy. I think oh, yeah, it's it was Bob- one of his one of his buddies. Bobby, right? yeah, I think it's Bobby. And it was like, to me, I'm like, I was watching this and I'm trying to like look at it from a critical perspective. I'm enjoying it, but I'm trying to look at it from a critical perspective. I'm like, that's an incredible overreaction. I know that they go to you and it's clearly illegal, but like you just rolled over and then just wailed on this guy. Yeah. For, and I'm like And he's yelling at the coach. Right. I'm like, this seems to me, I'm like, I don't know. Now, to be fair, I do feel for him in the beginning because He's befriended by that guy at the complex that you don't ever really see again until the very end of the movie. Yeah. Where they like him again. Let me find his name. Yeah. I don't know. I have some funny stuff about him. So they yeah, find his pull his name up for me, Dig. But we're going to pull that up. But they, you know, he befriends him, which is cool. So he finds a friend. They invite him to go to the beach. He's having a great time. He's running around. They're playing soccer on the beach. They're with these girls. And right. Freddie Fernandez. Freddie Fernandez. Is that his name in the movie or is that his name in the film? Yeah. Okay. So he, he befriends this guy named Freddy Fernandez and they go to the beach, I think, the, that night or the next day. And, you know, they're having a good time. And then the, the boys show up, Johnny and his, and his Cobra Kai crew. And we'll talk about obviously in deep, you know, in depth about Cobra Kai. But, you know, they show up and, you know, one of the girls there is Johnny's old flame and he like steals her boombox and destroys it. And it's totally an over the top scene. And I think that Danny does like a really good thing by standing up. But then Danny does... That's the first time Danny messes up because he's got he gets the shit beat out of him. Right. And then he sucker punches him like the guy. Johnny actually comes over to him, not necessarily to check on him, but be like, it's over. And he like turns over. And he was like basically turtling and he punches him and he sucker punches. He him. does. It's the, it's the beginning. It's like a sequence of a half dozen things in the movie <laughs> that just makes it worse and worse. for him. I love that. And, you know, Daniel's got that little bit. He talks about a little bit. He's got that little bit of like a YMCA karate background. Right. Right. So, you know, he's probably feeling he's feeling himself a little bit there, you know, but he doesn't realize what he's dealing with. Right. You yeah. Know, he's, a bunch of black belts. Right. Basically. Yeah. And I do like, by the way, Dave, just quick about the Cobra Kai guys, is that some of them are black belts and some of them are brown belts, which I yes. think is pretty cool as well. Yes. Nice little nice, subtle thing. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's a really thoughtful little touch. Yeah. It's cool. Like, they're not all like dominant. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, Dave, in this era. Now, you know, I became familiar with ninjas and karate and all that kind of stuff. This is this is this movie's not about ninjas, obviously, but you know, through Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and G.I. Joe, and then later on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But this was a pretty, was this pretty cool at this time? Like, you know, karate and, and sword fighting. And not that that's in the movie, but all the things that are in the periphery of, of karate fighting. I mean, I know that the movie played heavily into getting people invested in learning the martial arts in the Western world. But I'm wondering if it, that kind of coolness existed beforehand in that era. Yeah, I think so. 1984, you would think a lot of people that I already knew, not only people that I knew and that I was really good friends with or acquaintances at school, classmates and such, but their siblings as well, whether it be older or even younger siblings at that point, like my friend Tommy that we talk about a lot on the pod, his little brother David was a black belt by the time he was like 10 years old. Yeah, I remember that. Remember him? Yeah. So karate was a big thing. It was really popular. I never took karate. I wanted to do a whole thing with you, with you specifically, Kyle, talking about karate, but it was something I've always interested in, but I guess I wasn't interested enough to pursue it. 
But it was definitely a big thing. If I just think of kids that took karate during that time, you know, I think of, it sounds silly, but I think of Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe as a big way of, to introduce us into karate and ninjas. That was a huge thing for us. I think the fact that, you know, co- the Cobra, you know, the Cobra sort of contingent looked like karate. You know, the Cobra officers and such looked like ninjas. You know, and just kung fu movies growing up in New York in the 80s, you know, the 70s into the 80s, even into the mid to late 80s, WWOR TV Channel 9 they had some days that they all they did was play. They had Mets games and Kung Fu movies. That's all they had, you know. So karate and martial arts was already a big thing going into the mid 80s. And so I think this capitalized on it. And I'm sure it only made it bigger. You know, this movie was pretty huge, you know, and such a, you know, became such a big pop culture thing so quickly. So and, you know, shout out to Freddie Fernandez, you know, who Daniel meets first at the apartments. Daniel moves to Reseda, right, which I guess is in the Valley. And he, Freddie Fernandez is the first kid that he sort of befriends, you know, sort of a contemporary. And Freddie seems like this really nice guy and he's going to help Daniel out and give him tips about the neighborhood and the pool. And, oh, watch out for the crazy old lady. She's like baddie. And he's got the making bacon shirt on, you know. But as soon as they get to that beach scene, it's not only Freddie, but a bunch of his friends. As soon as Daniel gets the shit kicked out of him, they're like, oh, later for this kid. What a dork. Yeah, you know, no, it, it's it, so what is the line? They say, oh, you sure pick cool people to be friends with, Freddie. It's like, come on, he'll be all right. He's, I mean, he got a little rib sticking out. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Was, he, got beat. he got wrecked. Yeah, he got beat. And yeah, that bothered me a little bit, too. It was hard to watch. I, we've discussed this on the show before. I have a real struggle watching people get picked on. And I know that that's like uh, getting bullied. Yeah, that's a that's obviously a device in a lot of storytelling. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to deny that, of course, but. To me, I look at that and I'm like, ah, oh, this is hard to watch. He's already getting turned on. These kids are punks. And he was actually stepping up to do the right thing. Everyone else is watching scared as Johnny's messing around with this girl's, you know, this girl's boom box and all this. So, yeah, that bothered me. And it bothered me the most at the end when he wins and then they all crowd around him like they're all his friends again because he's the karate champion. <laughs> yeah, Johnny brings him the trophy. Yeah, yeah well, but we'll get to that. Well, that that I like because that's that's cool. But the other if you watch the scene, it's like some of the guys from the beach seen her there like oh, as, at, at the tournament yeah at the, as friends like they crowd oh. around them it's a very quick thing i gotta see that yeah. again i don't think i ever caught look at how look at this rewatchability of yeah this i mean I, i'm pretty much positive about that yeah that's amazing like i i definitely saw freddie fernandez's fat fucking face pop up you know at the, john g at the, ableton i could see him making a thoughtful thing like that but you know he 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 sort of had you know we got look at rocky you know well i mean that's what i wanted to talk about dig was kind of the provenance of this because you know, John C. Albertson is the director. And, and as you said, he directed Rocky. He also directed Rocky Five, which I find funny because Rocky Five is awful. Um, and I know that they tried to do something different and kind of try. That's to right. Little, he and, did do five, didn't he? Yeah. And Rocky Five, for people that don't know, is really, really much maligned. People really hate that movie. Now, I understand what they were trying to do. It was a very great. It actually is like full circle with the original Rocky because it's about how Rocky is like you know, kind of messed up now. And, but it's just not very watchable. It's not very, very good. And he also directed all three karate kid movies. And the producer, Jerry Weintraub is actually like a prolific music manager. I was reading pretty extensively about him and he was involved with a lot of very famous musical acts starting in the late sixties, all the way through the eighties. But he also produced a bunch of stuff and he produced like the oceans 11 remake and all that kind of stuff. So oh, that's awesome. Uh, he's involved in it. And then Love the writer movie. is Robert Mark Kamen, who wrote a lot of really famous stuff. He wrote the fifth element, which is a really famous sci-fi movie from the mid to late 90s. He wrote the Transporter movies. He wrote the Taken movies. 
And he wrote the Karate Kid movie. So there's an interesting group of people involved in this, like kind of an eclectic group of people that, you know, one guy who basically made a facsimile of Rocky, which Karate Kid has been accused of being. One guy who's basically a kind of a side movie producer who's really more involved in music gets involved in this. And obviously a writer of some of some great later action movies are all involved in this. And I will say this, too, that this movie to me, not the second and third one, but the first Karate Kid. And I don't know if this is going to resonate with you because I don't know if or when you've seen it. There's a lot of shades of the Mighty Ducks in this movie. I could see that. I could totally see that. About down and out kids who are against kind of a privileged group of kids who are more talented, who has who have a crazy coach. A guy from the past kind of comes and helps shepherd them. It's a little bit different in that regard. And then obviously the triumph of what you would look at as the good guys. But, you know, especially with the Mighty Ducks 2 and the Iceland team and the coach on the Iceland team. And so it's very similar. And I wouldn't be surprised if you read about the Mighty Ducks 2 if they were inspired by Keese and by all of these. I like that through line. That's really good. And it's very relatable for a lot of people. And that's, uh, you know, that's a draw. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. Now, let me ask you this. Okay. Let's talk about Martin Cove's rendition of John Kreese, because so I'm, I want to talk to you about John Kreese real quick. And, and it's, this is going to become more prominent in the second and especially the third movies. John Kreese doesn't really serve a purpose in the movie. If you removed him from the movie as sensei of Cobra Kai and stuff like that, I'm not really sure anything changes. And his entire inclusion in the third movie, which we'll talk about, is incomplete. Oh my God. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, I can't wait to talk about it with it you. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's just... <laughs> You're going to Tahiti now, <laughs> but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, Dave, because you said you wanted to hear what some of the listeners had said about please, the movies. Please, please. We have wait. a few comments here that I think would make a lot of sense now. And remember, again, you can support us on Patreon and submit these just like Marcus Brown did. Okay. He said, so after seeing The Karate Kid, you could say bullies weren't an issue anymore. This was beyond an underdog story for me, but an educational lesson as well. I learned heart, determination, and how to wax on, wax off through chores. This was Rocky for the youth, and it will always be a classic. And let's be honest, Johnny was the victim. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. I completely agree with you. Johnny is the victim. And I wanted to ask you about this specifically, Dig, and two things actually that Marcus brought up that okay. I think you'll be have a lot of really interesting insight into because you were born when this came out. I wasn't. Were kids getting rougher with each other after Karate Kid? Like, do you remember any playground shenanigans or anything like that? Or is that like kind of too far gone for you to really recall? Because, you know, as young kids, like when Turtles came out, or we would always reenact yeah, the scenes. I'm sure kids did that with Power Rangers and all sorts of stuff. So I wonder if like people I wonder if like you could study the data if there was like a five percent uptick in people getting the shit beat out of them in elementary school in 1985. Or I'm like sure, you know, and also don't forget, it's the heyday also of WWF wrestling. So Hulk Hogan and Junkyard Dog and Roddy Roddy Piper and all, you know, that was like the heyday of wrestling. As did well. you, were you into wrestling, by the way? At all? I really wasn't. But I knew a lot of kids. I, it was colorful, and I watched the, the WWF cartoon, and I thought it was funny and fun. But I knew a lot of kids in school that were super, super into it. And that's what they did. They wrestled on the playground and stuff. I wasn't really part of that sort of contingent of, of kids. But just in general back then, playing was just rougher. I mean, I remember playing full-on tackle football all through – I mean – all through junior high, basically, you know, and that was not a school thing. We would meet in a field on the weekends and just basically beat the crap out of each other, you know. So I think that was just a thing in general. But I could definitely imagine what you're saying, that kids would just be beating the living piss out of each other. But I was also kind of, you know, preteen at that point. I was 11 years old when this movie came out, 11, 12 years old. So I would, you know, I could but I could definitely see the six, seven, eight year olds. You yeah, know, I wonder if like teachers, like elementary school teachers, have memories of the Karate Kid movie. Crane out kicking and, like, each other yeah, off the desk. The, yeah. 
drop kicks, <laughs> you know. And shout out to my friend Car- Carlos, who I've talked about on the podcast before, who was like, you know, my friend who, you know, really essentially thought he was a ninja. I mean, he did everything except wear the mask. That was the kid who jumped over the garbage cans in the lunchroom and everything like that. So he and he was always a big part of that, too. I always, you know, wore the headbands. And he the must gear. have loved Karate Kid. Oh, he was. He had to be all over this. Nah, he must have loved it. <laughs> Tyson Williams wrote into us and said, easily one of my favorite movies. Not the best, not even close, but I adore it. It came out when my dad was 14. He loved it. And Elizabeth Shue. We'll talk about her in a minute. So, of course, he showed it, showed me it at a young age. There's just something magical about it. I can't put my finger on it. Like a deep nostalgia for a time I didn't live in because it's about the 80s music and movies I was raised with on the appeal of the romanticization of California and the West Coast. I love that. This is a huge thing that I wanted to talk to. This is a great point, Tyson. What did you think of California seeing this movie? Because this is a really a pretty prominent introduction to it's just like how I feel about 90210. I've lived in California now for 12 years and I've lived in L.A. for two. And I've always was fascinated as a kid by the rendition of California. I've talked in the past about how Encino Man was like a really prominent movie in my life. I mean, that's a random Paulie Shore movie, but about like, wow, California is so cool. They have outdoor schools and they leave school and they go to these malls and and they have these amazing neighborhoods and pools and stuff. So. This gives you a little bit more of a glimpse into like working class L.A., I guess, because you really don't see Johnny and his presumably upper class living at all in the movie. You only see this kind of rundown apartment complex, which apparently is still there, by the way. And yeah, yeah, I was looking at pictures like it looks the same. And it's in Cobra. Did they go back to it in Cobra Kai? They do. They, they did. go back to it. They in, did. Yeah. Oh, in Cobra Kai, they in do. The, but they do go back to it in the third movie, I think, too, because I'm trying to think. That's yeah, when, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. So. What did you think about kind of the rendition of California in this? Because California is so romantic. It's not only this movie, but a lot of other movies. Too. Absolutely. You know, Fast Times and yeah, there a, you go. A, a bunch of stuff that really made California look so dope. And I, I really do believe that it probably was very cool back then. I, I look at it as much more mundane now. But yeah, there's a certain 80s aesthetic to that L.A. too, like that Southern California. That's really charming. I know exactly what you're saying. Like that's represented in pop culture and those the movies of that era. But yeah, super exotic, especially for you know. Again, we are we're the surrogate of Daniel Larusso. He's coming from Newark. It's 50 miles from where we grew up. You know what's the difference between New Jersey and Long Island? It's the same thing. You see this. You know it's so funny, Cobb, because I wasn't I wasn't even looking at Daniel back then as an 11 year old watching this movie as like. Now I wasn't really thinking like, oh, here's this Italian kid. I just knew him. It was like, oh, yeah, I that guy. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like half me, half the kids I grew up with, whatever. It just seemed he seemed very familiar. And now he's going to this exotic locale across the country. So exotic for us as East Coasters growing up in the 80s. And again, you have to remember, too, I personally hadn't been to California yet. It would be another handful of years before I went to L.A. Yeah, Southern California, years, right, for the first time. So it would be... You know, that was an exotic thing and it did look different. You know, it looked so different. Not only the sort of lower class valley, Reseda, but where do the they live in Encino, right? The rich kids live in, right. in Encino. And all we really see is Allie's house and the country club, right? We don't see much else of that. We don't even know necessarily where the uh, amusement, you know, sort of mini golf dating place is somewhere in the middle or wherever. So we don't see that much of the Encino. We see really more of the Reseda, but both of it looked exotic. But I think the rich kid versus poor kid thing felt familiar. You know, I think that's sort of a universal thing. It doesn't matter where that is. You get it. Like our rich kid, poor kid thing on Long Island or in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania or, you know, in Florida, it looks different. But 
it's still familiar. It looks different than the California version, version, but it looks familiar. And, you know, sort of that, you know, again, that stereotype of the rich kids being the bullies, you know, I wonder how, you know, we didn't grow up super wealthy, very middle class, right? I always wonder from their perspective, you're a rich kid, let's say my contemporary, a rich California kid that's now 45 years old, saw Karate Kid the first time as an 11 year old. What did they think? What did the Encino, the rich Encino kid think? Maybe he's a nice kid. You know, did he take exception to that? Yeah, you know, in, like, in my experience, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I've observed no demonstrable difference between the way people treated me or their persona based on their amount of wealth. No, I've, I've really not. I've I've known and we went to school with extraordinarily rich people sure. that were perfectly nice. I went to school with some really poor people that were complete assholes yeah. and vice versa. Okay. But the point I'm trying to make is that like, I never really in my own mind just made assumptions of, or were treated specifically based on what you would think they would be like economically or socioeconomically. I, I never, think that's a really good point. When's I the never first time that. you experienced that in college? I, I mean, I went to a private college and I was probably one of the poorest people there, you know, and I, I don't think that I think a lot of those kids had no idea what was going on, didn't pay for anything. It was, uh, you yeah. know, I knew friends that lived in beautiful apartments that they weren't paying for and all that kind of stuff. That's that's that. But they weren't mean. Right. You know, yeah. Like, college is a level or two because you're yeah. growing up, you're an adult. Right. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there that I've always found that particular storytelling device weird. Like the rich people are automatically evil. The, yeah. The poor kids are automatically the underdogs. Like, well, what? You know, what if this rich person comes from a family of entrepreneurs that just made it? And what if this poor kid is just a dickhead? Very good point. It's yeah. almost lazy storytelling. It's a trope. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. a trope. No doubt about it. You know, no doubt about it. Clark Petrie wrote in and said, I can't wait for this episode. Well, here we are. Clark. Here we are. When I first saw the original movie as a kid, it changed my life. I ran around the yard doing kicks and punches for hours. Years later, I'm 37 with cauliflower ear and a passionate Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor. Oh. A hobby which consumes much of my free time to the dismay of my gaming passion, which I cannot imagine my life without. Thank you for the great show. So there you go. People were getting involved. Lifelong. In the martial arts. And it all started for some people like Clark with the Karate Kid. I admire that. Now, we got distracted before. Okay. I want to talk about John Kreese. Please, please, please. Absolutely. I want, I want to just hear what you think about this guy. This guy was a Vietnam vet. Yep. He's a karate, U.S. military karate champion. I think 71, 72, 73, something like that. He has this school, Cobra Kai, in L.A. that teaches merciless karate techniques. He's kind of a ridiculous character. I, I, I don't know. Again, it's just weird because it's a, basically a proxy fight. He has a problem, like Johnny has a problem with Danny. Yeah. But Kreese has a problem with Miyagi. Right, exactly. And the way it's resolved, because Miyagi refuses to fight anyone, is like our stu- our pupils will fight in the tournament on our behalf. That's basically what the movie's about. Yeah, it's absolutely. Little, it's a little strange. <laughs> it's a little strange. So talk to me a little bit about, about Mr. John Kreese, played by Martin, very ably by Martin Cove. Oh, he's so good. And did you ever hear the story of Martin Cove trying out for the part? I don't think so. It's amazing. So uh, he was an actor. I think he, you know, he was a character part, a character actor, played bit parts. And I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he was also kind of involved with Broadway and stage as well. So he was doing various things and he was waiting for a callback on this part. He really wanted to play it, but he wasn't getting one. And they were kind of, he felt like they were brushing him off for auditions or for a callback, I think it was. And when he went in, when he finally got the callback, he was so angry about being called back so late that he went in as the character. Like he went in like all fire and brimstone and like was horrifying. And they were like, yeah, you got the part. But he even let, he was still the angry, sort of that, that anger, that purveying anger was still there. And he was just fuming. He said he was still fuming when he walked out of there, but he got the part, you know? 
<laughs> and I think when he got home and cooled off, he was like, oh, my God, did I just fuck it up for myself? You know what I mean? But I always thought that was a great anecdote. But he's such a fun... The thing about the Kreese character is that he's such a fun character because, as you said, you know he's this sort of... You know, he's sort of this cantankerous, obviously mean-spirited. He preaches this whole mantra of no mercy, right? He's the complete antithesis to the Mr. Miyagi character, who's all about peace, fighting as a last resort, martial arts as self-defense, right? Kreese is the complete antithesis of this. You know, And you know, not only do you know what his sort of mantra is and sort of the code that he lives by, which is like no mercy, strike hard, strike fast, no mercy, right? But also, not only was he a Vietnam vet, he was special forces, right? You get the little storytelling bits. He was special forces. He was a Green Beret. He's dangerous. I mean, the guy is physically dangerous. He's a formidable opponent. And I always just thought he was so fun because why? Where is this coming from? You know, you don't... That's the thing about this movie. You have a lot of backstory in the movie. And I think that's what grounds it and makes it a really compelling drama in a way. You know this, for instance, you know there's a backstory between Johnny and Allie. You you go into the movie knowing that. So there's some thoughtful character touches and you know that this universe has existed. It has all those little nuances and storytelling touches where you know this world existed before the movie started. And I always love that. You know, it's not just the campy action, fish out of water, underdog story. There's more to it. There's a lot more substance. But with with the Kreese character, there's almost no substance. You just know this. Here's this mean-spirited guy. He's just as mean to his enemies as he is to his students. And here's this guy that's horrifying because he's training or he's trying to train a whole generation of martial artists in his image. You know, it's like, holy shit. You know, he's the complete, he's such a great contrast to Miyagi because he's the complete opposite. You know, and I love when he's, when Miyagi's in the dojo and they're, you know, the, the fight the challenge is kind of being put forth and they're in the dojo together because there's such a, there's such a contrast, not only in their personalities, but in their, you know, in their physicality, you know, Miyagi's this short little unassuming guy and Kobe's is this, you know, this sort of hulking angry. I mean, he's so angry that, and there's another character that we'll talk about in part two. It's the same thing. He's just like this throbbing temple vein with legs. It's like, why is this guy so angry? You know, but that's to me, that's what made the character so fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. But if you read between the lines, it's a little sad because you learn in the third installment that he like is very well respected by people that he served with and probably saved lives and stuff like that. And you think about like, okay, like from when he left Vietnam towards the end of the war in the early 70s to the mid to late 80s, like not much time has passed. And not to be dramatic about it, because I don't think they were really thinking about it through this lens, but like, does he have post-traumatic stress? And like, I never even thought like, of that. Like, what did he see and do over wow. there? Like, why is he, you know, because you're asking like a, a really valid question. Where does the anger come from there? There is the question in all three movies of why. Like, why is any of this happening? Why, 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 why? You just keep asking over and over again. Why is Danny acting like this? Why did this friend guy befriend Danny and then abandon him? Why does Johnny not care about him anymore? Why does Johnny not seem that interested in Allie? Why does Allie seem like she's kind of somewhat responsible for all the stuff that's happening to Danny? Why? You know, like there's just a lot of whys. Absolutely. And so I felt like that it wasn't, it's not so clean from that perspective, in, in my opinion. But you brought up Miyagi and I mean, obviously, you know, Mr. Miyagi, again, very ably played by Pat Morita is 
the seminal character and really I think the most important character in the in the movies and I didn't realize this and I'm sure you saw it he was nominated for an Academy Award for this role yes I saw which I couldn't believe that that's amazing for a best supporting actor now I'm not saying that his role is not worthy I just can't believe that the Academy took the Karate Kid seriously enough to give one of those it's not like best fight scenes or cinematography or anything it's best supporting actor that's very telling which is incredible yeah now, what do you think of Miyagi? Because I find him to be obviously very lovable and very likable, very sad, but also a little bit frustrating. Okay. Right? Because it is funny that Danny's a good kid, right? And you can see that with his relationship with his mom, who we'll talk about in a little while. And I like the mom's character a lot. And they almost seem like they really are related. Like that really is a mom and son thing. It's very well done. Very, very good well point. Great point. But Miyagi does seem like he's taking advantage of Daniel. Like over and over again. Now, it obviously works out to his advantage because he's teaching him all these techniques yes. about blocking. And, yeah. But it's a little like Danny just kind of goes along with it. And, the, and I I am as the viewer left wondering, you know, early, like, why aren't you asking any questions? What the hell is going on here? You're building this guy's house, basically. Yeah. You know, like oh, oh I mean, it's just like so exaggerated. Like, oh, you did. the Now I got to do the whole opposite side of the fence. I remember Kyle watching this movie for the first time in the theater and thinking that. You know, obviously, after the first time, you realize where it's going. But I remember watching it the first time and not knowing that's where it was going and being so frustrated. Like, what? now he's got to do all those cars. He's got to do all those fences. Now he's got to do the deck. Now he's got to sand and paint. It's like un- unbelievable. You know, yeah, Daniel shows great patience during that whole thing. Yeah, it's quite, quite, you know, nice I can see what you're that. saying about frust- being frustrated about that. But at the same time, Miyagi is obviously... An incredibly grounding, incredibly vital character to the story and brings a lot of peace and, you know, reason to the movie that I think would be missing otherwise. And I think just perfectly cast. I know that he was the first choice and then they were trying to get someone else involved and they kind of, you know, recast and he kind of put on that Japanese accent. That's not the way he sounds when he talks. So... Yeah, talk to me a little bit about Miyagi and and you know because he's more than Daniel the lasting image of the movie. It's it's not really, da- yeah, Daniel at the tournament with the awesome bracket on the wall. And so I love that. You know, I actually almost bought you the old Valley Tournament poster. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about that image of yeah. the. Oh, that's amazing. That's but I didn't know cool. if that was something you really would want. But I, I was I was I'm like <laughs> this is such a cool image and lo and behold like everyone was selling it so I almost bought it. But that is a great image. But because it's so 80s, it's like oh, so it's 80s. so iconic and it's got like the date on it and stuff which is cool. But you know. Miyagi is just an interesting, mysterious character. I almost want and we learn a lot more about him, actually, but I, I want to learn more about him. He's almost the main character of the movie to me. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah, they I would say they if there's a if there's two protagonists, it's 50 50 down the middle for me. It's you know? it's the two protagonists being, of course, Miyagi and Johnny. <laughs> you could totally see it that way. I get it. I get it. I want to explore that a little more. But yeah, Miyagi, I mean, talk about, first of all, very charming very appealing, very sort of, you know, just eternally likable character, you know, in Mr. Miyagi. And again, sort of a nice contrast, not a foil so much, but a contrast to Daniel. Here you have this young, angry, hot-headed kid. He's in a new place. He's not happy about it, at least initially. And here's this guy who's everything Daniel's not. And he's sort of everything that Daniel needs in a father figure. And, you know, again, I think I projected a lot as a kid thinking Daniel didn't have a father figure. And it is tragic that the father, you know, eventually we find out the father passes away. But, you know, you're almost thinking like, here's this kid. He has a single mom. The father probably left. 
you know, he's obviously pretty poor. Look at the car they drive. Look what they look where they come from. You know, P.S. Not to get on a tangent, but Newark has not changed since 1984. Yeah, I know because I see it from the train. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad place. It looks exactly the same. (laughs) And it's not just the fact of being impoverished or being a poor place. It's the infrastructure. The buildings, the train tracks, New Jersey Transit. I'm not going to get on a tangent about New Jersey Transit. I mean, it's the same. I mean, dude, it's, it hasn't changed. It's crazy. All those awesome exteriors of Newark in the beginning of the film it hasn't changed at all. But here's this guy, Miyagi, right, who's sort of imbuing all those, and not to stereotype Eastern philosophy and, you know, a code and all that kind of stuff, but he's teaching Daniel all these things that he needs, you know, how to be patient how to be calm, how to practice, how to not just, how to earn something and not just, you know, aggressively want it and want it yesterday, you know, how to, you know, how to wait for something, how, you know, how to work, a work, building a work ethic, all those things, you know, he's just really, and again, that father figure relationship of the father-son relationship that the, you know, their Daniel and Mr. Miyagi's relationship sort of becomes is really, I would argue, the through line of why you even create a Karate Kid 2 and a Karate Kid 3. I think that Daniel-Miyagi relationship is the through line of the films for me. And I think that's why, I think that's probably what they hung Karate Kid 2 and Karate Kid 3 on. But I love the relationship in... I love their relationship in the film. And I love not only the martial arts aspect, but the friendship. You know, the friendship, it seems like such an unlikely friendship. You have this, you know, young East Coast Italian high school kid and this old, you know, elderly, in fact, Japanese man who's, you know, very kind, but also, you know, sort of seems like he's a little bit of a, uh, he's a little bit of an introvert. In fact, you know, he just, he goes about his business. He's the handyman of this apartment complex. And, you know, I think he, I would argue that Miyagi also needed a friend. You know, they sort of found something in each other that they both needed and formed this, you know, this beautiful relationship, which to me is very touching. And I, I think that relationship stays touching through the three films. It's probably the only, eventually the only thing the movie is even eventually hanging on of, of substance or quality. You know, I would say for, for Miyagi and also a cool anecdote, John Appleton, I, re, I, I recall, if I'm not mistaken, didn't even know of the Arnold character from Happy Days. So he went in with no sort of bias towards Pat Morita. You know, I think a lot of people they had said, I don't know if you read this, Colin, just doing research and stuff. They Pat Morita was interested in the role from pretty early on, I believe, but they saw him as sort of a comic a little too funny, a little too comic for the role, thinking about Arnold from Happy Days, which is a very popular show and a very popular role. And he was very funny in that show. And, you know, also they had really serious, quote unquote, character actors studying, you know, that really wanted to do that actually auditioned, went as far as auditioned like Toshiro Mifune of Seven Samurai fame, who was a famous, you know, one of Akira Kurosawa's stable of actors you know, Akira Kurosawa being, you know, a very serious filmmaker and did very beautiful films. And I think Toshiro Mifune was seen as a little too heavy. Even his audition, he was just a little too much of that, you know, that drama slash melodrama. But, you know, I always loved that little anecdote about, you know, Pat Morita. And they said he just killed it in the audition. Like they fell in love with him instantly. 
So I could, it's very, and it, you know, you're right. It's very striking that he would be nominated for such a prestigious award being the type of film this was, because there was a bias against sort of, you know, what you would consider a popcorn film back then. Sure. There you still know. is. I, I think, I, I don't know much about film, but it seems like there still is a bias. Like people, I just saw a thing recently where people are like talking about, I think the last six or seven people that won best actor, for instance, like it was totally predictable who would win every year. Like everyone predicted it. It's just, it happens over and over again. So he didn't win, but to just be nominated, I think is... It's pretty neat. Cool. And it was a surprise. That was a big surprise in my research. That was one of the biggest things that I walked away from. I also was surprised by the fact that DC Comics has a character named Karate Kid and that they had to basically sign off on this. And I don't know what the financial arrangement is if there is one, but that's surprising to me. That, that was weird, right? Yeah, I didn't And this know has that. nothing to do with it. No, nothing. But it predated the film. The yeah, comic and, and apparently it has been used since as well, like out, you know, out of context that's as well. That's interesting. I didn't know that. So pretty interesting stuff there, I think, as well. Now... We have to talk about some of the female characters in the movie. It came up before Elizabeth Shue, the actress Elizabeth Shue, plays Allie Mills, Allie with an I. Our sister is named Allie with an I as well, so that's always interesting. Yeah. Um, she <gasps> is pretty successful still to this day. She acts in a lot of stuff to this day. If you go look at her kind of filmography and her TV run, she's done a, a bunch of stuff. But she's an interesting character in that I appreciate that she is the only person that seems to take to Daniel. And even though her involvement in Daniel seems to be making his problems worse... She seems to be kind of the level-headed one. Again, I feel like Daniel's kind of off his rocker in a lot of different in a lot of different situations. I agree with you, yeah. But when you look at the situation at the Halloween dance, for instance, it, it, she was kind of the one that wanted him to go. She was the one that kind of egged him on to do something to, you know, to Johnny in the bathroom and stuff. So she's an interesting kind of conflicted character to me too. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. You know, as you know, she's got this wealthy background. You know, she's got this sort of up in Encino, wealthy family, but she treats Daniel very kindly. And you know what's interesting, Kyle, about it too, which you notice when you watch the film, her friends don't approve of Daniel. But it's not, I don't think it's because of who Daniel is or where he comes from or his social status or his monetary status. I think it's because Daniel acts like a jerk a lot, quite often in the film towards Allie. When Allie goes to comfort him and say, you know, you'll be all right, don't be afraid of those guys, he sort of lashes out at her. And I think that's what makes Daniel very, again, that's what makes him a very interesting character. He's very two-dimensional. He's very three-dimensional of a character. You don't just see his, you know, you don't just see that layer of like, okay, here's the hero shining through and we know what the trajectory of this character is going to be. He's got some shitty qualities to him, you know, and there's a, there's a learning arc there. It's not like he's this appealing sort of charismatic character from the start. Like, indeed, like Miyagi is very charismatic, very likable from the start and throughout. Daniel starts with a very prickly sort of edge to him. And I love the fact that Allie seems very kind and very welcoming and sort of going out of her, her way to make him feel at home and comfort him. And he's sort of, he's sort of, again, especially if you want to sort of play up that Daniel as antagonist angle, he really does have that personality. You know, he's even lashing out at Allie and Miyagi and the people that are kind to him and trying to help him. You know, he had, you know, his mom, you know, so he's got that side and Allie's another character that sort of brings that out of him. And I think, but I think that's what's so cool and compelling about the movie is seeing all the angles to Daniel, you know, and the characters bringing that out of him, not just the bullies, but the people that are, you know, put in place to also help him, which makes it, you know, which makes her a very important character. And I think she's very likable too. You know, she, I think, I think Daniel's surrounded with a lot of likable characters, you know, and, you know, in the mom and Allie and Miyagi and, you know, some of the other, you know, some of the other supporting cast that, you know, sort of 
you know, spur the movie along. Now, we brought up the mom several times, Lucille LaRusso, and she's Danny's mom. And, and I, I like this character a lot. Now, I was blown away by this particular factoid. And I just, okay. I, I, I assume you must have seen it. Okay. Hit this me. woman plays. Uh, why didn't I write her name down? Do you have her name written down? Uh, I think it's Randy Heller. Randy Heller, right. I don't know why. I didn't Let I me double down. check that, though. She plays Ida Blankenship on Mad Yes. Oh, yes. That's, uh, I didn't know that. Now, did you recognize that? Yes. I didn't even recognize it. Yeah. When, when I read that, I was like, what? And yeah. then I went and like looked at, and I'm like, oh. Isn't I, that cool? That's awesome. So for people that don't know or didn't, don't watch Mad Men, didn't listen to our Mad Men episode, Ida Blankenship is in it for like a season or a season and a half. Maybe she's one of Don Draper's secretaries, but she's like the, an old woman and she's super funny in it. Like super like absent-minded. And Great character. I had no idea it was her. Great character. When Mad Men, when those seasons of Mad Men, because she came out a little later in the in the arc right. of Mad Men. About midway through, I would say. Yeah. When she, when she first started to appear, I remember texting Dana or calling her and saying, is that? Is that the mom from Karate Kid? And she was like, yeah, that's her. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's amazing. And also, spoiler alert, tune out for a second if you don't want to hear this. We're going to talk. I'm going to say something about Cobra Kai, the YouTube Red series, if you guys haven't seen it yet. She also reprises her role as Daniel's mom in the series. Oh, very cool. Which is very cool. Very cool. Very cool. But it was so cool to see her do, you know, sort of that Matthew Weiner, you know, very lauded series in Mad Men. Because she's got chops. And, Kyle... Where is she from? She's also from Long Island. I think Hales she's from, from Huntington. Right? Oh, is that right? I don't yeah, know. I think so. Yeah. Hails from Long Island. Yep. Not We're a little biased. Yeah, just a little bit. But just that's how bit. it goes. I also want to give a shout out, by the way, to this guy named Pat Johnson, who was the choreographer in it, but he's the referee. The guy who is like the referee with a mustache. Yeah, he's awesome. apparently like a very serious karate expert. You can tell like he's in it. He knows exactly what he's doing and stuff like that. So I want to give a shout out to that guy because that guy's awesome. He's he in. does look very serious, yeah. right? Yeah, he's like a legit apparently like karate choreographer and, and all that kind of stuff and, and played that role. I thought pretty ably like I, my eye was always drawn to him. Yeah, and, he seems and, right for it somehow, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, he works. He's got that 80s aesthetic, the tight T-shirt muscles. You know, like the mustache. I, I liked him a lot. He's great. And you know what, Kyle? I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's one of Chuck Norris's protégés. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, Dave, you brought up the country club scene, and I wanted to bring this up really quick because that was maybe the strangest scene to me in hindsight and watching it again for the first time in a while. There's a scene for people that don't know or don't remember where Daniel is going. There's like some party at a country club that, you know, he's supposed to go out on a date with Allie with an eye later on that night. And he's all dressed to the nines and he kind of sneaks in. And I like how he goes through the kitchen. He kind of looks like he's dressed like one of the kitchen people and no one really gives him a second look. But there's this scene where he's, he's looking through the window and, he, and she's like dancing with Johnny and Johnny sees him and, and goes to kiss her. And he like freaks out. But then like he's gets like busted through the door and, and there's like spaghetti all over him and stuff. And everyone <laughs> is hysterically laughing. Even the parents. The parents. Everyone is hysterically <laughs> laughing for like a minute. <laughs> As this kid is like tumbling around and escaping this really embarrassing scene, I'm like, that's so over the top. Even for this movie, like all the adults and parents are just laughing at this dude who just wiped, you know, ate shit at this restaurant. I found that very peculiar. Is that, ama- is that amazing? I found that very peculiar. It's kind of a weird scene, right? It's almost that one. I would, I would probably go as far as to say it's the one scene that doesn't feel like it quite fits. It's a little strange. Yeah, it's it's just it just I guess it's necessary to give more juice to this hatred that. Yeah, Danny feels over Johnny, but the history of of Johnny and Allie as well. Right, exactly. And like I said, I think a lot of this is lost in translation based on the scenes that they cut, because there are still images of scenes that are not in the movie of Johnny and and Danny having issues with each other, at least two of them. 
that I think if kept in the movie would have given it more context and not made Giant feel like the, the hero or like the person who's getting picked on. It doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about Cobra Kai in terms of its resonance after the movie. Was this, was this like a branding thing? Did people have t-shirts and like was Cobra Kai something that was considered cool or? you know what i don't re- you're talking about in the in the mid 80s yeah you know what Cause i don't because t- there's cobra kai t-shirts in the third movie that i'm like those are awesome like they I are totally, cool. the yellow ones that they wear yes. is cobra kai never dies or whatever i'm like those are super cool but were people wearing those was there like a lot of no. merch the first time kyle i could honestly remember seeing no i don't remember anything and you know what famously the karate kid there was not a lot of merch and i don't know the reasons behind it i wish i could, had a chance to research it a little more but i couldn't find much on it for some reason there was not a lot of merchandise at all for the first movie the merchandise video games action figures and so forth sort of came out surrounding oddly the second film so just in general there wasn't a lot of stuff for the first karate kid as far as merchandise goes but i don't remember a lot of it the first time i remember kids really being into it and i say kids I was already working, you know, I've been working as an animator for 20 years. Early on, like the first five years of my career, I worked at a little studio up in Pennsylvania um, in Reading. And I worked with a couple of guys that were really into the Karate Kid. And they were, you know, in their early 20s at the time, a little bit younger than me at the time. And they were going as the Cobra Kai in their Halloween skeleton outfits. Oh, that's sweet. Them and their boys were going as... And I, that's the first time I remember them. And I, but I believe, I don't even know if, you know what? Even then, we'll say in the early 2000s, I don't even know that they were store-bought bought costumes. That's the first time I remember anybody like really rocking anything from the Karate Kid. So, but now it's huge, you know, with the YouTube Red series and everything like that. But, you know, I would definitely rock a Cobra Kai t-shirt it's uh, you know it's iconic it's as iconic as anything else in this film yeah it seems like such a wasted opportunity at that time you know since you brought up cobra kai and we had brought it up multiple times the show brad gray wrote in owen also wrote in but we're going with brad gray's okay uh, comment here he says have either of you watched the youtube show cobra kai my boss is a huge fan of it and tries to get me to watch it almost every day at this point it's becoming more of an inside joke that i haven't watched it and it's more fun to keep and that it's more fun to keep avoiding it now dagan and i talked about this i haven't seen cobra kai either Dagan has and really likes it. There's a second season coming. By the time you might be listening to this, it might be out. I don't Late know. spring, early summer, I think they're saying. But very hush-hush for some reason. Ten episodes were very hush-hush. But due to the nature of what we've agreed with with Knockback, we don't cover things until they're finished. So Cobra Kai is not done yet. We'll do another episode in the future. On, excuse me, I'm burping. On Cobra Kai. Absolutely, absolutely. In the future. It's great. I love it. And I could see it. If you're a Karate Kid fan... I would highly recommend it. If you like the Karate Kid films, I would recommend it. If if not, I don't know if you would get a lot out of it because it's very fan servicey, in a great way. In a great way, you know, because I think a lot of people like the Karate Kid and, and could appreciate. You don't have to be a, su- a Karate Kid super fan, but I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun, and William Zabka, man, who plays Johnny, I mean, just kills it. You you know, you, I always wanted to see him. I was so upset. You know, you talk about Johnny, right? Uh, did I, was I interrupting you saying anything? No, 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 please, please. So you talk about Johnny as this iconic bully character from the 80s. I can't, I'm hard pressed to think of a more iconic one. And I always wanted to see, he's, William Zabkis sort of, as Johnny at least, has that attitude. He's got that face, right? He's got that sort of unlikability that sort of resonates, that bully thing. He's got that whole bully thing. He's got it wired. I always wanted to see William Zabka sort of in stuff. And he has done bit parts and character parts here and there. So to see him again and to see a series centering around him is such a treat 
because he's as good as you think he's going to be. I mean, I love Ralph Macchio, but he outshines Ralph Macchio in the series for sure. Like for sure. There's other really great new characters in the series as well that are that really do a wonderful job. But yeah, he's just it's worth watching it just for him. And, to, you know, it's so cool because who's going to now we're waiting to see. And I don't want to spoil anything, but now we're waiting to see what characters are going to pop up. Now, going forth, are we going to see Allie? Are we going to see, you know, who are we going to see? That would be super cool for them you know? to bring some, some of those characters back in. Now, it's worth noting that William Zapka, I was reading about this, he was also nominated for an Academy Award, but much later, for his, he's apparently a pretty prolific short film documentarian and short filmmaker. I didn't know that. And he was nominated in 2004, 2005 for an Academy Award for his work on totally unrelated to that. Whoa, that's but, so cool. But I had been making the connection too. He's in Back to School. He's in European Vacation. He is I, in Back to School. I, I was thinking, and you know how I feel about Back to School, and, and connecting all the dots, I was like, oh yeah. like There he is. But it is funny because in reading stuff with him, he was talking about how like people would get mad at him in person. <laughs> Because he's always the dick. He was playing like the bully or the dickhead or the rich kid or whatever. Yeah. And that it was like becoming a problem for him. You know, like that, like he didn't want to necessarily be typecast like that. And I also think he didn't do himself any favors. I mean, maybe he played up the, you know, he plays Johnny Lawrence. That role is so, I like that character a lot. Like, I just like it. But he's so aggressive, not only in like in the way he fights, he's very like bouncy and active, almost like a Street Fighter character. If you watch like the the tournament, he's very aggressive. He's going at people. Yeah, it's awesome. Almost overacting. I love it. And I think it's cool. Oh, like, it works so well. And I do love the shot that you had mentioned earlier when he hands the trophy to Daniel. To me, that should have wrapped it up, right? Like that right arc should have wrapped it up. And again, it ties into the Mighty Ducks and especially the Mighty Ducks 2 when, you know, the Iceland coach is freaking out that they lost to Team America or Team USA, but it's the players that are like, let's go shake their hands. Like it's the players being the adults. And that was a very similar thing. And I'm like, all right, that should have been the end. That's it. Of Johnny and... You know, crease. Absolutely. Leave us wanting more. Right, exactly. And instead... That whole thing. We get a second movie. Now, the second movie comes out... Now, I, I think this is interesting. All three movies came out around the same time in June, just separate years, obviously. So the first one's June 22nd, 84. The second one's June 2086. Now, this one made $115.1 million, even more at the box office. Holy for moly. Only a little bit more money on production, $13 million. So they only spent about 4 or $5 million more in making this one. Now... I don't know how you feel about this observation, Dagan, but these movies, two and three, to me, were delivered out of order. Okay. Now, I, I I don't know why the second movie is about Miyagi going home, and then the third movie is about this weird anger redemption arc where he wants to defend his title. Yes. Because the movies suggest, by the way, that only a year passes between one and three. Yes, that's right. Now, that's ridiculous, first of all. I think Ralph Macchio was 20 in the first movie or 19, and he's 27 in part three. In three, wow. And I was actually reading, it's interesting, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about part three, but his stuff with Robin Lively in the third movie, they had to make them more friends because she's not even of age. So they couldn't do any like kissing or anything like that. How old is she in the She was like 16 or 17 and he's 27. Holy cow. So apparently like that had to like be rewritten. I, I think apparently that scene where she's like, I have a boyfriend. You know, like when he goes to the art store was because the actress, even yeah. though she's playing older, is not of age. That's amazing. Yeah, she's the clay. She works with yeah, the, clay. She's like, the yeah. clay pots and all that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So I just want to throw that out there before we talk about the third one. And I think that the third one would have made more sense as the second movie. And the second movie would have made more sense as the third movie. But this, I hear that. I hear that. But the second one's all about it's all about Miyagi, really. And I, I, I think that that is what is the compelling through line through it. I think Miyagi is an interesting character. I think that we want to know more about Miyagi. 
But it also frustrates me about Miyagi because you learn two strange things about him through this movie. You learn a little bit about it in the first one, actually, because while he's he gets Daniel drunk in the first one, which is amazing. But and he also beats the shit out of kids, which is amazing. Yes, he does. But and like really beats the shit out of them, <laughs> which is awesome, although it's in self-defense. But Absolutely. those two, two things aside, you learn that he had a wife that died during childbirth sometime after the war. But in this movie, you learn that there's a second woman. Yep. He, who, who he loved before that. Yes. Who he leaves o- Okinawa, Japan for. And I'm always confused. I always thought, I don't know a lot about Japanese history. I know a little bit about it, but Okinawa is its own unique place, but it's Japan. So I, I was always a little weird why, a, a little, like, why aren't, why is Okinawa considered this special, you know, why, why is he Okinawan and not Japanese? Yeah, it's interesting. There's the, got to be a reason for that. I don't know why. The only thing I can think of is so picturesque. Well, yeah, they filmed sure. most of that in Hawaii. Yeah, they did film it in Hawaii, which I was surprised by. I thought actually when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, they went to Okinawa. It's beautiful. But then I was reading it to Hawaii. It's Hawaii. <laughs> but, well, because they have the cars and the houses, it must have cost quite a bit of money for them to produce it like that. But for me, uh, apart from that geo, geo geographic problem that I have with it, you find these weird things about Miyagi where you realize that he's incredibly stubborn to an almost annoying extent what you really realize is that for 40 something years this man has been living by himself because when he was like 18 he had some sort of blood feud over this other girl and then his wife died after the war with their child very tragic yeah but then from 1948 until 1986 he's just Nothing is happening. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's just very strange. Strange. So talk to me a little bit about the second one. Again, the second one comes out June 20, 1986. Did you see this one in the, in the theater as well? Saw this one in the theater. Okay. Saw all three. And then the next one is with the, um, what is her name? Who plays the in the next Hillary club? Swank. Hillary. I saw all four of those. Yeah, so. I saw that one in the theater. I, did you really? With dad, I think. Yeah, oh, dad, dad and I used to go see. Dude, there was like a run of like 50 random 90s children's so movies random. that I saw with dad. Like the Richie Rich remake and like oh my god with uh, Macaulay Culkin, which wasn't wasn't half, which wasn't half bad, not a bad one. Blank check, all these really weird <laughs> Maybe movies that couple- I dragged that to, like the Jonathan Taylor Thomas one where he's like a Native American or something like that. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and there's that Mel Gibson one, and I I dad he was very patient. I used to drag the dad to all of this. Shit. That's all. Well, dad likes movies. He does. He he does. But I don't know that. Little Giants is the movie that he wanted to see in the movie. There had to be a couple of Ernest movies in there during that that time, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Ernest scared stupid. (laughs) So good. Dad has great taste. And I mean that. (laughs) We're not making fun of him in that one. So, yeah, talk to me a little bit about how you feel about the second one. To me, Dollars for Donuts, I think the second one might be the the most inconsequential one. Well, I was going to ask you to rank them, actually, to rank them. Two and three, I could do without both of them. Yeah, but I could understand what you're saying about Maybe three is a little more interesting, yeah. At, you know, after one. Right. But just trying to want to milk the franchise. Now, two, 1986, right? This yep, one that came June out in 1986. I never really particularly cared for this film. There's actually not a lot of fighting in it. And as a kid, that's what bothered me. You know, I'm 13, 14 years old, whatever it is. I wanted to see, you know, that sort of conflict, that sort of, you know, that whole thing. There's not, there's some fighting in it. But I think I felt like there wasn't a lot of fighting in it. But I have to say, Kyle... In watching this movie again for the episode, I fell in love with this movie again. Like, really, really learned to appreciate this movie, which is kind of odd. It's much different than the first film. Now, I I would think that the vehicle for this movie was not necessarily to see Daniel again, but more to see Miyagi and Daniel again and what was going to be their next adventure. And setting this in 
the setting of where Miyagi is from and setting this in Okinawa, you're going from Southern California now to a very exotic setting, thousands of miles away in the East where Miyagi's from. And it's a whole different thing. So if you were going to make a, a movie, it, it was it was sort of bold to do something so different, I think, which is I give it credit for. And to see sort of, you know, we all loved Miyagi. We all loved Mr. Miyagi from the first film. So to explore more about his character and where he comes from, what makes him tick and what his story is, I can understand that. Now, I really love the conflict between Mr. Miyagi and his old friend slash nemesis Sato, who, again, the angriest Japanese man that ever lived. Just outrageous. Oh, he's so angry. Now, Miyagi does set the stage funnily because he's he's he says to Daniel, and I wonder if this was like a, a thing that they filmed later or whatever, because it's worth noting that Karate Kid, the original one, was filmed sequentially, which is yes. super interesting and very unusual. Very, very unusual. unusual. I don't know if they did it with the second one, if they like went in and filled a hole, but he says something to Danny where it's like, it's honor is very serious where I'm from. And I feel like that had to be a line in there because Sato is so out. He's outrageous. He's, he's not going to let this go. No, like this is a thing that's, and just, yeah. All right. So go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. So to see that, you know, again, we talk about that throbbing temple vein with legs, you know, that sort of anger, just sort of ungodly anger to unbelievable inhuman amount of rage and he's got this sort of like you said blood feud with Miyagi and Miyagi has to go back to Okinawa because his father is passing away his father is dying but his father we find out was not only Miyagi's sensei but also Sato's sensei so they have this deep you know Sato and Miyagi have this deep connection through Miyagi's father and it's sad because Miyagi's father is passing away and he's dying now you could say it's a very sweet story. How entertaining is it? I don't know. But what they did was, you know, Daniel tags along with Miyagi to go back to Okinawa. And that's so there's a sort of sort of an element of adventure tacked on because now it becomes an adventure for Daniel as well. And what happens is Sato has sort of a disciple and a pupil, too, in a character named Chosen who is, again, like the most ostentatious villain ever. Such a great villain. P- played famously. I got to find the actor's name. Yuji Okamoto is the guy. Oh, name. he's fantastic. Fantastic. In yeah, the very mid to late 80s. Earrings, the the Hawaiian shirt with the open buttons. Right. You know, almost has like a almost has like a hybrid 80s, 50s thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, which might have been, you know, which I don't know. I'm talking out of turn, but might have been a thing in Okinawa in during that era like they were still kind of stuck in that period. If you think back to like post-World War Two, they might have still had a lot of that stuff. Those yeah, fashions, those yeah. cars. Right. Because yeah, they're agrarian in that area. And, and, right. Yeah. It's not a big city. It's not Tokyo. You know, it's not, a, it's not, you know, even Yokohama, it's like Colin was saying, super rural, super, you know, it's farm country. And I, but I would say, Kyle, without the character, well, certainly without Sato and Chosen, but without Chosen, I don't even know that this movie would be watchable. He's uh, such a compelling part. Cause again, you have this bully and you have this, you know, now it's almost like taking Johnny to the next level. And not only in personality, but in fighting prowess. And you see that when Daniel and Chosen first fight. You know, and I'm thinking about, because I'm going to forget to mention it. During one of their fights, during when Daniel and Chosen fight, Daniel goes to use the crane kick 
and you think it's you think it's fixing to be this epic moment again. And Chosen just grabs his foot and throws him. It's over. That moment is over. I love the way they filmed that because it was like, no, this is a whole different thing now. You know, you're dealing with somebody who's much more formidable in this guy. So that's really what I think about. And of course, you have you know the love element between Miyagi Miyagi and his love interest, but also who the young lady who Daniel sort of forms a relationship with. Komiko. Komiko. And so that's in that, so that's what you have. You have sort of this revenge story, this old friendship that fell apart that you want to see resolve. And I think that's really what is more compelling to me than the romance elements, which I don't really care that much about. Yeah, me neither. I'm more I'm more interested to see if Miyagi and this the angriest man on earth could actually, you know, bury the hatchet right. and settle their differences. Right. There there is a fatal flaw in chosen Taguchi's character though in in my mind okay it's the scene where he's trying to goad Daniel and by turn goad Miyagi into fighting Sato and whatever for this honor that has to go back to this girl and you know back to the 40s and it's it's completely outrageous but he goes into like the family temple where or the dojo where both Sato and where Miyagi trained and destroys it and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense because they were just talking about how that, you know, they go to Okinawa because Miyagi's father is dying. As Dagan said, they are, it, it, he had almost like a son father like relationship with this other man who they were friends, whatever. But they trained there that, that that's their discipline. And then one of his disciples goes and destroys it. It just it's just weird. Like, that was just a weird thing where I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, I don't think Sato would want to want this to happen either. Yeah. So that was a little strange. It's a good point. The other thing that's strange about it is that there's no real reason why the American military is in it at all. Obviously, we know that we've been in Okinawa. We're still in Okinawa. There's like 40,000 Americans there right now. Yeah. American soldiers since is World War Marines? II. Is that Marines? I don't I don't know. Okay. I, I don't I have no Navy. Idea. I don't know. I, I don't. It probably is a mixture of everyone you yeah. assume, but I don't know. And I look at this and I'm like, it's interesting because it shows how Okinawa is different now and stuff. But I'm like, what is it? Why is this really relevant? Like there's scenes where they're talking and there's helicopters going on. And I think it's really cool that no one bats an eye because it's so normal to them to have all this noise. But I felt like that was kind of an extraneous, distracting part of the plot. But in reality, for the second one, for me, what was most annoying was simply finding out that this this Yuki character played by Nobu McCarthy, who passed away in 2002 and who apparently was a pretty famous model she's beautiful you know even as she's older and that she's she's clearly gorgeous yeah she is is you find out that she never married either she out of respect and never tried to reach miyagi these two star-crossed lovers had been living apart for 45 years and it's just so frustrating it's like miyagi basically made himself miserable you know and it's like why would he do that At, at what point do you kind of look at this and be like what is the what is the purpose of you living like this so for me, it, it I know it's just a film, but it filled me with frustration for Miyagi because you want good things for Miyagi. You want Miyagi to fall in love. And the only thing I'm thankful for, Dagan, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart through all three movies, is that they never saw, we never had to see Miyagi die. Because yes. I was, especially, I knew that that couldn't have happened because I saw the Hillary Swank one. So I knew that that wasn't possible. But thank God. Thank because goodness. I would have gone into the second one and the third one if I was your age and been like, okay, Miyagi's dying in one of these movies for sure. Like how you would Han, think Han Solo dies or Yoda dies or something. It's like, <laughs> certainly this man's dying, you know, the, he, but they did. thankfully at oh, least saved us. Thank goodness from that. Cause I don't know if I could have handled that. Oh, he carries it. I couldn't. So by the third movie, let's, let's talk a little bit about Kumiko though, 
who is Daniel's love interest okay. in the third one or the second one, rather. She's played by Tamlin Tomita, who if you look up and I was looking her up, she's in a shit ton of things. And she has she's like on a, a regular on a TV show now and people would recognize her. But Francis Bryan wrote into us and said, who's cuter, Kamiko or Allie with an eye? And I'm going to go with Kamiko. I'm going with Kamiko on that. No offense to Allie with an eye. Also, also very cute. Now, very she nice. was a little more. Thankfully, she was 20, I think, when she Kamiko, when she filmed Karate Kid 2. Okay. So she's a little closer in age than the Robin Lively uh, awkward shit that I mentioned from the third one. But yeah, I think you got to go with Kamiko. I like that character. I think she's a like. I think that's a, I think that's a very good point. Before we get to the third one, is there anything you want to wrap up? The second one, is there anything else you wanted to say about it? Well, you know what, Kyle? We should talk about, the fir- you know, going back to the first movie, as we talk about after the tournament. Oh, the you know, intro. Spoiler alert. Right. So, yes. so Daniel defeats Johnny at the end of the first movie. The First of all, Karate Kid 1 is probably the most abrupt ending of any film ever. I mean, it just ends. I mean, it's just like, what? That's it? Like, it's just like, what? <laughs> like, it just ends so abruptly. And you guys will know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, watch it. You'll know exactly what I mean. But apparently, I believe they were the beginning of the second film. The story leaves right off from the first film. They're literally in the parking lot of the tournament, walking to their car. Now that was supposed to be the end of the first film, and for some reason, they just edited. They just stopped it there. They just decided to stop it where they stopped it. So when the second film starts, spoiler alert. Miyagi and Daniel walking to the car. Everybody's con- congratulating Daniel. He's signing autographs. Everything's lovely. But Kreese is waiting in the parking lot. Kreese is having an argument with Johnny about the second place trophy. He sort of breaks the trophy and throws it. Johnny's like, what the fuck, man? You know, like, and the other guys are kind of, you know, the other Cobra Kai are like, what's up? You know, coach, you're, that's ridiculous. And Miyagi comes and gets into, you know, says something to Kreese and they get into a confrontation. And Kreese can't get a beat on Miyagi, ends up punching out a couple of car windows. He's got two bloody fists and Miyagi gets him in the liver die thing and then honks his nose, right? Honk. Which is awesome. So funny. Yeah. I mean, I remember cool. being thinking that was the funniest thing ever. So this movie starts out great, but it 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 starts out right where the first one leaves off, which is which was always very which I always liked. I always felt like it was very faithful because it was a really nice tie-in. I kind of hate that. I always hated that thoughtless Sort of, here's a new thing, here's new characters, here's a new situation. You know, don't, we're not going to tie anything back into the first film. It makes it feel like they were being reverent, and I really like that. I got to say, though, Dig, that one thing that frustrated me about the second one that they did again in the third one, which I couldn't believe. Tell me. Was the kind of synopsis intro that they do. That where it's like it kind of brings you through the original film, which they oh, do. Oh yes, I fucking hate that. Yeah, I don't. I, like dude, that I couldn't. It was so long. I watched it again and timed it. It's over five minutes Is of the original really? movie before they get into anything in the parking lot. Really? Yeah, five minutes. Is it that long? Yes. I straight up, everyone, go if you go watch Karate Kid too. It takes more than five minutes for them to get to the first scene of the movie. Yeah, that's lame. Which is, and then they do it again. And there was the only movie. two two years between the films. Exactly, and you know, like. Back to the Future does that actually too. Yes, but it's much cleaner, and a, and I think a lot of the reason that they did it was because they had to retcon the girl out of it. Yes, and that's changed a big the part. actress. That's a huge. So part I think of that, that that was the reason why they filmed the original Good one. Point. You know, the, the the scene with the truck and all that when they're and then they drive out of the driveway in the in the DeLorean. But Good point. So I, I I do like that intro with Crease again. It doesn't really make any sense in the second movie because Crease isn't in the second movie. No. Other than that, so I it, like you get a little Crease. This is this is why the movies are delivered out of order. You I know, I get if that. that intro happened with Crease, yeah. and then the third movie began. Right, it would fuel the fire. Then it would just be 
Because at this, again, and also Ralph Macchio just clearly getting older and a little, I don't want to say fatter because he's not getting fatter. He's filling in. Like he's he got looks a little a lot bit different. He looks a little chubbier. Yeah, he looks different. And so you kind of have to like, you know, kind of like suspend your belief. It's why I think in retrospect, we did the Back to the Future episode already about the trilogy, but that they filmed two and three at the same time was actually a stroke of genius because even though they separated them, their releases by a little while, they looked there was continuity there. Very smart. And, and I think that those movies might have been delivered out of order, out of order too. But I am convinced that Karate Kid 3 should have been the second one. I totally understand that. I, to- I totally get that. The only thing you could say with 3 is there's new villains being introduced. You know, I really think that the, you know, it's a it's a old storytelling technique that you know very well, Kyle. It's like just taking the characters and putting them in a, ver- a brand new setting, in a brand new situation. And I think it was really, I think 2 was really too further the story of Miyagi because everybody loved him so much you know I think that was the but it does feel when you see what three is later on (laughs) it it totally feels like that it's horrible three is a three had potential to be really great I I just I'll continue down this thread I don't understand what Kreese's purpose is in any of these movies like if you really think about Kreese in the second one he shouldn't be in the movie like that actually parking lot seems great right but it it serves no purpose no absolutely not and then in the third one he serves no purpose again because it really is about, and it could have been about the benefactor of the Cobra Kai, you know, this guy named Terry Silver, played by Thomas Ian Griffith, who's a really over-the-top oh my God. villain, his laugh scenes and all, like, when he's, it's, so, it's, it's just, it, it's so, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's camp. Yeah. It's camp, it crosses over into real Through and camp, through, through and through. You know. But to me, I just look at it, and I'm like, again, I don't understand why they keep wedging Crease into this, because they bring him in in the beginning, <laughs> he's like down and out, he's lost all the students. The important thing about the second one that I guess is, is pertinent is that he's beating the shit out of all of his students in the parking lot. Totally. One. So he, totally he is. loses all the students. He's destitute. He goes to apologize, like turn over the dojo and then leave. And instead, he, you know, Terry Silver sends him to Tahiti <laughs> in one on of the strangest scenes ever. And then he goes to, and then he comes back like, you know, almost at the end of the movie. But really, there's no reason for him to be there. No. Tahiti to hook up with prostitutes. Yeah. Presumably. Very appealing. Presumably. <laughs> So I, I just don't understand, you know, they really squandered Kreese as like a through line villain that could have been in all three of them, but they really should have let it go after the tournament because it would have been much more tantalizing to have Terry Silver as like the benefactor of Cobra Kai. You learn that Cobra Kai is this much bigger organization and there's other senseis and maybe they all get involved in it somehow, but just wedging Kreese back into it as much as I like that character didn't seem to make any sense to me. No, it's almost like nostalgia, but it wasn't, it hadn't been that long. No. And the third movie is also just, it's just, I don't know, it's just not very good. And I was reading even like an oral history and even Ralph Macchio was saying like it's, they tried to recapture the first one without, I think his line is they tried to recapture the first movie without any of the good stuff. Yes, he he does say that. He's actually pretty outspoken, uh, 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 definitely against the third movie and I think maybe even a little bit of the second film as well, which is, which is telling because he's, he's still making a living off it, especially with the return of the whole franchise with the YouTube show. Right. So... So, you know, interesting stuff nonetheless. Uh, you know, Robin Lively's character, Jessica Andrews, she was in Doogie Howser and in Twin Peaks and stuff like that. What but did she play in Doogie Howser? I can't remember. I think she was one of the sister's friends or something like okay. that. Okay, okay. But I haven't seen Doogie Howser in a long Maybe time. Maybe one I, of Wanda's I, friends. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you Wanda. go. Shout out to Wanda. Shout out to Wanda. I used to love that. that you want to talk about it? I was talking about that with Aaron a few weeks ago. I'm like, wasn't it unbelievable that there was a show about a 12-year-old doctor? Oh, it was crazy. Was, was he 12 Or like show? 14 or whatever Whatever it was. You know, it was on for a while. Um, <laughs> and his best friend who came in the window. Yeah. Vinny. Vinny. And then there was all those years where I got confused and I I thought I what was the um 
What was the show about like the kid with Down syndrome or he was on it? Oh, uh, My So-Called Life? Yeah. It's, no, Is not that, My no, So-Called uh, Life Goes On? Yeah, Life Goes On, life I think it was. On. Where I, there was like 10 years of my life where I thought Life Goes On and Doogie Hauser were like in the same universe. And I thought that that Doogie Hauser's brother was the kid with Down syndrome. Oh, weird. Like, I Why just, did you think that? I don't know. I, were, I knew that that wasn't little, true. You were little. And then I brought it up at some point. Someone's like, what are you talking about? Life Goes On. That was Corky and Becca, right? Corky. Yeah, that's, Corky. that's it. That was on right before I went to college. Because I think I was saying to someone like, oh, yeah, Corky and Doogie Hauser or something. Like, what are you... F- you fucking crazy. Yeah. That was a that was a long lived show too, right? Life goes on. That was if I'm if I'm saying that name. I think it was think Life Goes On. Called. Yeah, yeah. No, that was and it was because that around. was the thing. Life yeah. goes on. Da, na, na, da, na, na, yeah, good, good show. Yeah, good I, show. I throw it in there with the Wonder Years and all those shows like that. Was that an hour long show, Kyle? Was that it? Now my curiosity's peaked. I don't know. We could do an episode on it. I Let's haven't seen it. it in probably twenty five years. Oh, maybe. it's been a long time. So, I just felt like the Jessica Andrews character again, extraneous. The I actually made a joke about it on Twitter, which I thought was pretty funny. Underrated tweet, by the way. But that the here I'll actually read it. Please, to you. Did you did please. you see the Karate Kid? I don't 3 think tweet? I saw that. So what I said about what? Karate Kid Three was I you know sometimes people just tweet out the synopses of movies like joke synopses. Oh, I saw it. Yes, yeah. I responded to that. Yes. Of oh, course. okay. Of course. So I said uh, for people that are listening, I said the Karate Kid Part Three, 1989, a mysterious money hungry warrior obsessively stalks a reclusive formal martial arts champion. In order to get him to sign a karate tournament application. Which is what it is. That's the entire movie. Which is w- totally what it is. It's so weird. Like, it got weirder and weirder where they just are trying to make him sign this document to be in a tournament. That's really all. It's That's going. 90% of the movie. That's what's going on. This and- nut job comes from somewhere. I don't even know who the hell he is. It's a martial artist. Yeah. Mike Barnes you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, yeah. And- it's like a three-tiered thing. It's like it's like a three-tiered villain thing. Actually, it's more than that because the, the some of the... Lower tiered villains have lackeys. You know, you got Crease, Terry Silver, Mike Barnes, Dennis and Snake. It's like, what what is happening right now? What is going on? It's in just film? weird. Yeah, it's just weird. And and an overcompensating movie, I think, too, because to your point, Karate Kid 2 doesn't have a lot of action. The complaints I was reading in some of the contemporary reviews of Karate Kid 3 was that it was it really too violent. It really doesn't have a lot of action. Is that like the movie's actually quite violent? Yeah. And which is fine. I don't I don't care about that, but I don't know. It, it's just a muddled mess. It made its money at the box office, but actually, if you look at it, so Karate Kid Part 3 came out June 30th, 1989. So again, June 22nd, 1984, June 20th, 1986, June 30th, 1989. Those were the three movies. Okay. This one only made $38.9 million. It's <laughs> telling. On $12.5 million. So they made a profit, but... They did. 90.8 million, 150.1, Look at that drop-off. Precipitous With the same, off. you know, cast of characters, you know, at least the same core characters. You know, it's funny, Kyle, because I could think of Cho. Let's go back to two. You could think okay. of Chosen, right? He's he's this villain. You know, he's the villain you love to hate. He's blasphemous and irreverent, and at least his character arc sort of plays into how it ends for him, which is that he's a coward and he won't help Daniel rescue the girl. You know, at least there's some cohesive story going on there, at least with what's going on in two. Then when you go to three. It's just, it's almost, you know what's funny about the film? Just blank, in a blanket way, I find it to be almost joyless. There's not a lot of levity. The whole thing centers around Miyagi opening this bonsai shop that Daniel basically squanders, you know, I say squanders, but in my opinion, squanders his college money on. To foist on him as well. To foist on him, basically, right? It's in this squalid building it's in this terrible neighborhood right you have this love interest who this is odd right you have this love interest who daniel you know the girl across the street she owns like a little ceramic studio seems very sweet daniel develops an interest in her and then 
they sort of intimate that it's going to be a thing and they're going to go on a date. And then she's automatically like, we're just going to be friends. I have a boyfriend that I really love. It's very strange. Well, I think, again, that goes to the point. I think they had to write that in because of the nature that they couldn't kiss or anything. like that. Oh, right. So it goes. You think it goes back to that. I think so. I think it's a great I, theory because what else could it be? I think I read that 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 was literally a problem because he was like literally 10 years older than her. You know, which you know what? You said it. I. I wasn't even smart enough to think of that. That has to be what it is. And then it's just like this whole thing. Like, okay, we'll go Dutch. You know, it's like, and then they have this friendship. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, it doesn't, there's nothing compelling about the movie. I think that the character of Terry Silver, even the Mike Barnes character, it's flat. But the character of Terry Silver, we don't see a lot of crease, but Terry Silver's performance is deliciously bad. Right. Even Roger, even Siskel and Ebert praise him as being like the only watchable thing in the film because it is camp and it is melodrama. It's overacting. But there's something delicious about it. There's just something like when he's sitting in the tub (laughs) with the, you know, with his assistant, who's like this old lady and he's taking a bath. He's got the cigar and he's talking about, you know, dumping waste, dumping waste. (laughs) It's like he's got this waste dumping business it's like i'm so glad you brought that up because i think i would have forgot that's so yeah that's like his whole thing is like he wastes he, t- he dumps toxic waste like, i don't care what you have to do you know and then he's like bribing politicians with dinners it's like what is happening in this movie it's a it's it's a mess but again the through line is miyagi and daniel's relationship and pat Morita is so good in this movie dude in in spite of the whole train wreck the whole ensuing train wreck. He's got a lot of moments in this movie where, you know, again, it's melodrama, but where he's welling up. And you could see he's really welling up. And I know Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita were very close. In real life. In real life. And I think you see it, the one sort of thing that you could kind of glean from this movie, you know, the one redeeming value is seeing that relationship on screen. You could really set, see the love between the two characters, especially from Pat Morita's end of things. You know, he's very stubborn. He doesn't want to train Daniel. You know, Daniel is severely overmatched by this Mike Barnes guy. I would say besides the, you know, the Daniel and Miyagi relationship and sort of that real compassion and that real love that comes across on screen is those two, is Terry Silver and Dennis and Snake. I mean, because those characters are so ridiculous. It's like, here's the bad boy of, you know, he's going to show you around town. He's the guy to see, you know, it's like, it this movie is such an insult to the franchise. Yeah, it, is. it really is. Yeah, he says something to him like, "If bad things happen in L.A., Snake knows what's Snake going." Snake knows the yeah, deal. Yeah. Like, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I do." It's really quite bad. It's bad, and it's disappointing because uh, I don't know that it needed to be made, and I don't know that it does it any justice. I always feel like things go too far and end up ruining everything in hindsight. I still think the Karate Kid would have been such a... I know you have to make your money. I would have done the same thing if I owned the rights to this. I would have shoved this thing way down people's throats, way worse than they did probably to make as much money as possible. But you have to kind of respect the fact that there's some sort of canon here and it's just got... It got so far away in only five years in... By the way, it's only a year in the movie. But it's five years in distance in the real world. It just gets so out of whack. Like, it, it was frustrating. Just like Daniel... Waste his college money, like you said. Yeah. Foist this shit business on this old man who doesn't really seem to want it. And yeah, it's like this half-hearted thing. It's all P.S. I what I tacked onto your tweet. I don't know if you saw it as another story point in the film, which is ridiculous. The whole business is hinging on this bonsai tree that Pat Morita plants down this ravine, like this dangerous gorge, which he, they have to rappel down. Yeah, this whole rock 
rock climbing oh thing. Oh my god. It's like what is Thank happening? God Jessica knows how to rock climb. Holy shit. It's just like what? And that it's if it wasn't weird enough, it's like how how else can we make this movie completely irrelevant and just odd? It's you know? odd. I mean, I think that that's a good way of putting it. It's odd. Time. You know, if number two is an experiment and trying to do something different and trying to further the character Miyagi, you know, however much it succeeded or failed, but three is just like, oh my goodness, it's just unbelievable. Well, it doesn't make sense too that Mike Barnes is so, I know that the whole thing is that Crease wants revenge. Now, they do establish that Terry Silver has an incredible amount of love and respect for Crease because of yeah. what happened in Vietnam. You don't really know. You know that... Chris saved silver in Vietnam. You know that that happened and that that happened to a lot of people. And so there's some sort of loyalty there. So you actually almost respect that Terry Silver has this loyalty where he's willing to go like scheme in order to get Chris like back on on the path. It's a great point. But there are two weird things that are just like, okay, why wouldn't you just help him in some other way? You're filthy rich. Remember, there's a scene where where Terry Silver tells Chris that he opened 20 new Cobra Kai stores. Yeah. And in his name. Now, if I were Chris, I would have been like, you could have just given me the millions of dollars that you just spent on all that commercial real estate. That's number one. All right. If you really cared about me, give me a little bit of money, get back my fig and do something else. That's number one. Number two, why does Mike Barnes need to beat Danny? There's this whole weird thing where this letter, where they get this letter. Yeah. Which is another like exposition laziness thing where they're like, oh, I don't have to fight anyone. I just get automatically entered into the final. I'm like, okay, that fucking sucks. First of all, what is that? There's no playoff in the world that works like that, by the way. To defend the Super Bowl title, you must go through the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl. That's a great point. It was a lazy way for them not to have a whole tournament again. I guess they didn't want to replay the whole thing, which right. was which is fine. It's well, kind Kyle, of like they had to do the whole ravine with the bonsai. I know. I mean, they you couldn't had to, cut into that. And then the seawater gets into the whole. Minutes. I know. It's like I, oh. I could barely pay attention to it, but it didn't make any sense. Like if Mike Barnes was so interested in just winning the tournament in order to get half of Cobra Kai, which is what he wanted, why couldn't he have beaten anyone? And wouldn't it have been more interesting for him to have been like, can I forge? Like this is the whole thing where I, if I were him, I would have sit down. I would have sat down with Danny, and been like, listen, sign the document. I'll give you a lump sum payment of whatever it is. Don't show up. Right. You lose. I win. We'll give you X amount of money. I own half of Cobra Kai. And that's the end. Because he makes a good point to Terry Silver when Mike Barnes is making the deal. He's like, I can get that in writing. And Terry Silver's like, yes, of course. Right. So the deal's in place. All he needs to do is win the tournament. It's already there. So it's just it's just strange that they don't like it is, you know, talk to each other. And I know it's a movie or whatever, but it's just like out of my in my mind's eye. I'm like, well, wouldn't it have been much easier for him to just. No. You can't suspend your... It gets too ridiculous. It gets way too ridiculous to ask you to suspend your disbelief. You know, I mean, the whole thing is about... You you said it already. It's about disgracing and getting revenge on Daniel and Miyagi because of what they did to Kreese and the way, you know, the ensuing events, you know, essentially made Kreese lose face. But... And getting Mike Barnes was like getting one of the best up-and-comers in Daniel's age bracket, I guess, because Terry and Kreese are far too old to fight him but there's so much ridiculousness and so many there's so many seams and gaps and you know story points that aren't filled in and things that don't make sense it's like like the movie is literally all over the place it is it is all over the place i will say though that i do appreciate the the idea of trying to sabotage daniel's training by making him do illegal things that cobra kai would do in order to make him get beat in the tournament forgot like there, about that there's something clever about that like there's something really maniacal about that like where he's like giving into anger it's very star wars dark side thing where he's giving into anger and he's because he says like when 
when Terry Silver's trying to teach him how to like kick out a leg, he's like, I can't kick up there, like near the knee. He's like, no, that's where you go higher. That's where you. So like they're trying to fill his head with things. It's clever, which is and the opposite of what he's taught by Miyagi. Exactly, exact opposite. And I do love the shot when he's like leaving and Crease comes out behind the cardboard cutout. Like I think that's cool, but again, I just don't know why he's there. Yeah, there's those moments, but it's not enough to redeem the movie, you know. And you know, Kyle, something like funny that I paid attention to, Mister Miyagi fights in all three movies. Okay. Karate Kid Part 1, I believe. Now, you guys must correct me if I'm mistaken. Karate Kid Part 1 never gets a hit on him. He's just completely flawless. Flawless victory. Perfect. Right? Karate Kid 3, perfect. And he fights everybody, I believe. He fights everybody. He fights Terry Silver. He fights Barnes. Does he fight Mike Barnes as well? I think so. Maybe, yeah. But the only time he gets a hit, Chosen is the only one to get a hit on Miyagi when he's fighting him with the, the broken spear. I think he hits Miyagi before Miyagi proceeds to beat the shit out of him. He gets the one. Miyagi is only hit once in all three movies. Only one time. He almost has a triple perfect. He's close. <laughs> He's close. Which is which is really funny. So it's I, I just love that. I love and I love that Pat Morita, like they never had him do anything too drastic, you know, but it was always enough that you got like it was almost like this Yoda esque style of fighting where it was like Kind of limited, but he didn't have to do much. Really, I'll say, Kyle. It had. To, we always talk about this, and I think we see eye to eye on this. Wear more of the mind. I was just talking about this with my friend. There was like some anime Star Wars shorts that they did. It was like a re a retelling of the fight between Dooku and Yoda. You know, and then you remember in the movie Yoda's oh, flipping around. I fucking hated. You're it. of the mind, right? Similar to me, of that Yoda shouldn't really have to do much. He's so powerful. That it should be limited movement. He shouldn't have to really do a lot to fight. No, and he shouldn't have a lightsaber. Shouldn't even have a lightsaber, right? Like the Emperor didn't have a lightsaber. And some people are like, no, he's so badass that he, you know, he flips three times and hits you three times in one flip. You know what I mean? Type of thing. But where of the opposite mind. I think Miyagi's fighting style is almost like that. So it works. You know, it's not very dynamic. It's just very staid. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it yeah you know there is almost a that's exactly the way i would have liked to see you first of all i never needed to see yoda fight but and we'll save it for the attack of the clones whatever that takes play i i can't with those movies but we'll do them no no worry about that but yeah i agree with you like there's something you know the old sage yes that lays back and lets you come to him and doesn't act aggressively and stuff yeah they they fucked yoda up and oh i don't know what they were thinking no one it's so weird we we, yeah we'll we'll talk about all that but miyagi has did stay consistent and he did he's definitely the only through line for me that is like you said is consistently at least good and it it is just strange i think that the movies get stranger again i think that the whole premise of the third one would have made a lot more sense again in the second place and then maybe going to okinawa would have been a way to wrap things up and maybe even god forbid miyagi passed away in okinawa or something or danny has to kind of avenge him and there are you know 94 is when the next karate kid comes out and that's with hillary swank and miyagi's in that too so is that 94 so it's funny i went to go look at the trailer on amazon and amazon does this weird thing where they don't have trailers for a lot of old movies they just show a random scene from the movie so that's weird i don't really remember that movie very well i don't have it much kind of not gonna rent it for four bucks so no what for yeah, yeah, I rented the other four. three for four bucks each, which is fine, but I'm not, you know. It's called Karate Kid 4, right? I think it's called The Next Karate Kid. The Next Karate Kid, that's I right. I think so. Yeah. Now, what's the um, Jaden Smith? Well, we got this because Eric Wilson wrote in us and said, what are your thoughts on the Karate Kid remake with Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan? I don't remember. I think it's highly underrated and also showcases Jackie Chan's acting, which surprised the hell out of me. He's amazing. He's the most amazing, of course, in Rush Hour, Eric. Oh. That's where he shines. Here, here. Rush Hour is the best. Not Shanghai Noon? Shanghai Noon is excellent, too. <laughs> 
the the whole bathtub scene is like one of, oh my, of my God, favorites. So we Dagan and I have a weird obsession with Shanghai Noon, and we saw it's unreasonable. We saw the sequel in the theater. Remember, we did, which was this. It wasn't very good. No, but we were so excited to see it because Shanghai Noon was so. Remember amazing. that? Yeah, we were so disappointed. What was it called? It was Shang. It was I don't remember. What Shanghai Nights. Yeah, Shanghai Nights. I think that's yeah. exactly what it was. I think that's what it was. So he wrote. I never saw it. I think that the Jaden Smith one came out in 2010. Okay. And I've never seen it. Have you seen I that one? I have, but I can't remember it. I, I have to watch it again. I really did want to watch it just in case we got into talking about it, but who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover it in a Jackie Chan episode. That'd be fun. Yeah. I love, be... I love Jackie Chan. I think he's really interesting. And, you know, we'll do, we'll definitely do one about Rush Hour because, you know, oh Rush Hour one and two are really, really fantastic. The They're third so one good. is not so good, but I don't think I've ever seen the third one. I saw it in a the theater. I think it came out in like 2008. It's Jackie Chan too? Yeah. Okay. And it's not as funny, but, you know, Chris Tucker is like, oh my God, he's so, what happened to him? I don't know. Where's he at? I don't know. He's hmm. living off of his rush hour revenues, I guess. <laughs> Probably. Well, Dig, that's basically all I have. Matt Wu did write into us to talk about the crane kick, but we we all already talked about it, but I did want to acknowledge The iconic that. crane kick. What, is there anything else you want to say about the karate You kick? know what? I'm just so obsessed with the first film that I have to give a shout out. As far as I know, there's only four of the Cobra Kai members of Johnny's squad, Kreese's squad that we know, a squad that we know by name. Johnny... Tommy, Bobby, and Dutch. Now, Dutch, Kyle, is the kid with the short blonde hair. Yeah, he's always like, blonde. Ah! Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like really like, if you look at him through the film, if you're as obsessed as I am, he's like meaner than Johnny. There's no redemption. He's the one always screaming to, you know, he's the one who gets in the fight with Daniel in the back, you know, in the locker room area of the tournament. He sort of challenges Daniel to the fight. He's also the one that tells Johnny that he's soft when Johnny goes yes. down during the tournament, which is yeah, which is kind of weird. Like yeah. he's kind of the ringleader a little bit, but he is actually I didn't know this. He is actually ch- famous actor Steve McQueen. He's his son. He's Chad McQueen. His name Chad McQueen, and I think they um, I don't think he had that bleach blonde hair. I think they wanted him to stand out a little bit from the others. So they gave him that bleach blonde hair to make him, you know, stand out a little more, which is actually speaks volumes because he, you know, he is the most aggressive one of the bunch, even though he's sort of relegated to a side, a background character. And the other fun thing, I don't know if you knew this, Kyle, which somebody taught me years ago, really thoughtful filmmaking touch in the in the movie, which I think is done on purpose. You know, Daniel's iconic Halloween costume he has to hide and you know Mr. Miyagi makes him the shower costume so he could go to the dance but not necessarily be seen those different elements those different parts of the shower costume are hanging in the background of Mr. Miyagi's sort of fix-it shop his work area in an earlier scene in the movie you could see the shower curtain and the thing and the ring and everything like that which is really cool because later on he uses all those elements that are in the background to make the costume which I thought was really neat that is awesome that's a sort of neat little touch it is you know, but that was it. We covered it unbelievably. I had all this trivia. We talked about it. And yeah, I think that's, I think we really hopefully did it justice. We even did a third one justice. I mean, what more could you ask? Yeah, I know. Because I remember when you were originally wanted to do this, I put it on my list because it's my turn to choose this time, but I know you would want to do it last time. So I, to- I took it on a mine to take it off of your plate. Yes, thank and you. And I, oh, you're welcome. But I remember you even saying like, like, we don't even have to do the third one. And I'm like, no, we'll do, we'll just get them all Let's out Let's just of the do the proper right trilogy. I will say, you know, R.I.P. Pat Morita. I wasn't really sure. I assumed he had passed away, but I wasn't sure what his status was. He had died. He's died almost 15 years ago now. So wow, um, is it that 2005. Yeah. Holy and shit. knowing that Ralph Macchio is close to him, which I didn't know in real life, I wonder how he took that and all of that. I'm sure that wasn't easy. You know, and you have a rapport, and you know, it's sort of your whole. 
you know, probably there's a big social component and friendship component, but also your whole livelihood was sort of hinged on your relationship with another person. You know, that's tough. You know, that's like the ultimate coworker, really. You know, so, and I know he, his legacy, I know his, if I'm not mistaken, his daughter and his wife are very involved in sort of, I think they went to them to talk about, because, you know, of course, in Cobra Kai, no spoilers, but in the series, in the YouTube series, you know, of course, Miyagi is referred to. I understand that, if I'm not mistaken, that Mr. Miyagi's house was recreated for the second season where Daniel's dojo is going to be. So, you know, there is... Mr. Miyagi is still part of the story, and yeah, I think they, his family's involved in that. That's awesome. Yeah, because they did knock his house down, the real house. In the, the real one. 80s. Oh, did they really? Yeah, apparently. Oh, yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, well? apparently. Wow, that's interesting. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that little house. You know, really, which is really neat. which is so cool. Now, Cobb, do you want to do a closing segment? The yeah, closing, let's do a segment, closing segment. We did our new opening segment. takes a, takes a little few minutes. This one is quick. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, it's a podcast. It's gonna be as long as we want it to be. And you let me know what you think of it. Okay, what is it called? It's called "Quote Me on That." Oh, and all it is, I'm gonna tell you a movie quote. You tell me the movie. Oh, it's gonna be tough. I'm not good at this stuff. But okay, you're well, gonna. Well, I think you're gonna be all right. All right, let's see. Some of them, you know, now some of them, I tried to get movies that were kind of in your purview that I knew would be in your purview. Some of them, maybe, maybe not. But I have, in those instances, I have probably three or four quotes that we, I could help you along a little bit. Okay. Well, and also, see. I wanted this to serve as a little bit of foreshadowing for future topics. Oh, great. So take it as a hint, hint. Okay. If you will. Okay. All right. First film, Kyle. I have two quotes. Well, let's see if you can get it with one. Definitely going to start with this one. Major, huh? Well, I guess it ought to fit on a colonel. Major, huh? Well, I guess it ought to fit on a colonel. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to give yeah, you one give more. One more. Oh, Red Dawn? You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's when they're sitting around the fire, like after the pilot crashes. I, yeah, I would have never got that. But I thought you would have a chance at that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, the, the girl says that to the pilot, right? Or 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 is it... He said the pilot says it... One of the kids gives him a hat I to forget, wear. I totally forget about like that. Like a winter arc. hat. Like yeah, one yeah. of those really those I, Russian bear you know, right. fur hats. And he says, oh, I got it off a dead major. Right. And the... And the I guess he's a colonel in the, he flies an F-15. Right, right, right. right. He says major, huh? Well, I guess. What's the other red one quote? I had an, excuse me, Spanish speaking audience of knockback. I might pronounce this wrong. Vaya con Dios. (laughs) 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 Right? Is that towards the end? Yeah. yeah. Because I haven't, honestly, I haven't, we, Guys, we'll do a Red Dawn. A Red Dawn topic is definitely coming, but I haven't watched the whole film in a long time. Our Red Dawn was, episode will probably be at like hours and hours long. That's one of those ones, those sacred ones where it's like Red Dawn, you know, we already know, A New Hope, right? Final Fantasy 3 slash 6. These are ones we're going to make you guys salivate for. Yeah, we're gonna, we'll do them in a few years. We'll string those along. So very well done, Kyle. Thank you. Very well done. Now I'm gonna. I was threatened by one of our listeners that they would revolt if I didn't end with a dad joke. Okay, please. Are you ready? Yes. Now you heard me laugh at this one as I wrote it in my notebook earlier. So. Now this could be me, me being crazy, but I think this is funny. All right. To whoever stole my copy of Microsoft Office, I will find you. You have my word. <laughs> <laughs> I almost couldn't even get it out. <laughs> I started laughing before it was even over because I knew exactly where it was going. That's brilliant. That's a good one. I like. Well, I'm glad that we're doing so. We're doing quote me on that and dad jokes at the end. Yeah, we're gonna we're do gonna do win lose and draw in the beginning. Yes, very okay. well. Good memory, my friend. 
How do you, I mean, how do you like these new ones? I like them. I mean, right. that's not a good memory. It happened like an hour and a half. Ago. <laughs> so I don't know if I, you know, I'm not a goldfish, but, <laughs> but I appreciate the compliment nonetheless. Uh, well, dang, that's all we have for the Karate Kid trilogy. People can go rent these movies. I, I looked pretty exhaustively. They're not available at the time we're recording this on Netflix or anything, but you can rent all three of them on Amazon Prime. I'm sure they're available on other rental services as well. I think we both recommend you go watch the first one, but really watching all three of them is funny. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's worth an afternoon or an evening. With, You'll get you know, something out of each. It's six, I think six hours total is your is your time commitment. So oh, it's yeah. Not, not oh, really yeah, a big yeah, deal. Yeah. No, no. And we'll do Cobra Kai in the future. I'm not going to even discuss it or consider it until Cobra Kai is over. So and it doesn't seem like it's going to be over anytime soon. So that's one that we're going to be doing in the next few years, I assume. Woo-hoo. So I'll look forward to watching that when the time comes. I would love to stack that up five seasons and, and you know, jump in. You got time. That's what I'm doing with, um, what do you call it? Um the HBO series everybody loves. Why is my mind going blank? The HBO series. Are, oh, Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm waiting until it ends. And I'm going to start it. I was thinking there's a lot of HBO series. I know. Westworld. I, know. Is that I, I was just watching the, uh, the first season of Succession, which is excellent. Oh, what's what, is that HBO? Yeah, it's about I don't know. It's about a news corporation like business that's owned by a dad and his four kids. And it's about how they're all like backstabbing each other to try to get the company. How is it? Who's in that? It's excellent. I, I don't know any of the actors. Off, actually, the, Rory, Rory Culkin is the only person I know by oh, name. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I don't, you'll know the other people, but I don't know them by name. Okay. Personally. All right. The well, old guy, like the, the patriarch is a pretty famous actor, but I'm not, you know, I'm not very good with How far stuff. along are they with this series? They only have one season. So oh, okay. I, yeah, so it's, I, I recommend it. It's, it's very good. I like check, it a lot. I like it. slow, methodical shows personally. I know a lot of people don't. That's why I like Man in the High Castle. Anyway. Which is another show we'll do, I'm sure. That the next season, season four, is the last season of that. Oh, so they're ending it. Yeah, so certainly they can't. They basically canceled it by this. Oh, so, so maybe I'll but watch giving them a soon. chance to wrap it up. So. I'll watch that soon. So Dagan, thank you for your thank, time. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thank you all out there for listening to Knockback. Of course, you can support us again on Patreon, patreoncom stand for early ad-free access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show, exclusive podcasts, Q and A's, etc. We really do appreciate it. If not, listen to us on free feeds. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes and elsewhere. It helps us algorithmically find a new audience. Spread the word because the show is finding new audiences in really unique and interesting ways. People are sharing it with friends. They're sharing it with family. And it's interesting to hear how people are bonding over it and getting great memories over it and all that. That's the entire idea. And the entire idea of the show is to also be evergreen. So whether you listen to this right when it goes up or you're listening to this in the year 2025, it's still, I think, going to be just as useful and pertinent to you and and hope it entertains you. So we'll see you next time for more Knockback. Goodbye. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan supported over at Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. C.J. Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Bosford, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Matthew Cooper, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Delanicos, Mitchell Durkash, Knight Draft, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fodios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Blake Garcia, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Toothless Gibbon, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Greg Julefs, Anton Kay, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Lou and Ray Loper, 
Elijah Lopez, Colin Love, Josh M, Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Nicholas Mast, Zachariah McAdoo, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Michael Renner, Titus Rex, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Riebenscheiner, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Schultz, Chris Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Glendon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Andrew Smith, John Tabanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Joseph Thayer, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Curen, Raymond Joshua Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayant, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, That Rescue Guy, Casual Misfits Gaming, Super Shot ST, Throw 7, Infinite, Homeworld Hub, Mad Mock Media, Mubarak, Sticks and Crits, Richter 86, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav 9834, Donk 2015, and Gavin.